Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome into Hoopsville. I am your host, Dave McHugh, and we welcome you into another episode of the show. We are back live under the lights, as it were, here on Hoopsville, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA NABC Studios. couple things of note. First and foremost, hope you enjoyed the, uh, the broadcast on uh, Thursday, which was a pre-taped edition. Uh, it looked like people enjoyed it. We appreciate you taking the time. Uh, hope you don't mind. We have to do those occasionally. May have to do one at least one more time this uh, month, um, but we'll see. Uh, we'll also have to miss a couple shows this month just due to activities. Um, but again, it looked like a number of people enjoyed the show, and we certainly appreciate you taking the time. Uh, of course, we're streaming live on YouTube and simulcast on Facebook. If you want to interact with us, you can tweet us at D3Hoopsville um, using the hashtag Hoopsville as well. You can also, on Facebook, facebook.com slash hoopsville, or email us hoopsville at d3hoops.com. We're also on Instagram at d3hoopsville there as well. I just realized we don't follow questions there as easily. There's only so many places we can keep track of what's going on and where. Uh, forgive my voice, a little bit worn out. I uh, had the pleasure absolute pleasure of calling the division three men's and women's soccer championships this past weekend in greensboro north carolina i literally drove back today my original plan was to drive back sometime on uh last night friday night or saturday night right yeah saturday night and uh get a little bit of the trip underway and do the rest uh the next day totally forgetting the men's championship game was a seven o'clock affair which meant there's just no reasonable way to do that so drove back today and uh we're doing the show now live uh, if you're watching live, if you're watching uh, via the, the uh, on-demand options, thank you. If you are wa- listening via the podcast version, thank you as well. Uh, any way you watch is appreciative of us or listen in this case. We certainly appreciate it. Uh, because of my, let's call it distraction with soccer, I was able to keep track of what was going on with basketball. But even some things I'm not fully up to speed with. Top 25 information is in front of me, and I know I have a yeoman's bit of work ahead of me again as the top two teams in the country won. I'm sorry, lost. <laughs> I did mean lose. Um, so I know uh, I'm going to have to think about Williams. I'm going to have to think about Augustana and whatnot. Wesleyan got the win over Williams, and I'll just say flat out, good. I'm glad that's the case. Um because I was looking for an excuse to include Wesleyan in my top 25. They were on the doorstep, and I just felt like I needed a little bit more information. Of course, the way this works, they'll give us that information and then promptly give me a reason to move them again down. Every team is giving us that opportunity, except so far for Whitman. The Whitman barely survived on the, uh, open, or on the weekend as well. Uh, nearly, nearly escaped uh, Puget Sound 111-108, scoring five points in the final minute to at least get out of the Northwest opening weekend unscathed at 2-0. But, you know, listen, they rolled through everything last year. Uh, I think we're maybe a little spoiled. Yes, they lost in the final four game. And 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 lost a significant lead in the process, but they've got a huge target on their back this year. And if anybody thinks they're going to go unscathed all the way to Salem again, is is nuts. I don't expect them to do that. 
uh, even though they're my number one team. I don't think anybody's going to go through the season unscathed this year. Just the way it is in men's basketball. And, of course, women's, we're probably going to get a couple maybe undefeated teams. Uh, Tufts and Amherst are going to – someone's going to have to lose. Maybe both of them lose. Um, and I think some other teams as well. But even on the women's side, we had some craziness. Uh, as Austin defeated Wash U. And you know what? This may be coming up for the Bears as just a transitional thing. Uh, they're still a good team. They still have a lot of talent. But now under a brand new head coach for the first time in three decades. And, and so, you know, Randy Henderson's a, a solid coach. We know that from her previous Division Three experience. We've had her on the show as a result of that uh, experience. So I don't see any reason to count the Bears out. It's just a matter of adjusting and getting used to something new for players who are used to Nancy Faye. It's used to everybody getting Randy Henderson getting used to everything at Wash U. So they're going to take some lumps. I'm not surprised. Yeah, maybe Austin beating him is a little bit of a surprise, but nonetheless, it happened. This one jumped out at me. I had to read my email a couple times. The Scranton men lost to Juniata. So did the Scranton women. You don't often see, especially in conference play, the Scranton teams both lose on the same day or night. And it happened uh, against Juniata. So hats off to Juniata for the, pulling that off. The men's programs, it's got me wondering what's going on. I, maybe I completely misread the tea leaves. Gonna have to do a deep dive to see what's going on. Maybe the Scranton fans can kind of give us their insight. Now, maybe they have on D3 boards. I haven't been on the basketball side of D3 boards. In several days, I haven't had time. And so maybe they've given us their insight there, but you know, still a, a surprising result. Now on the women's side, they were number 16. When you're in that territory, the top 25, I don't think anyone's expecting you to be flawless. And so a loss doesn't shock me necessarily. Um, Juniata maybe surprises me because I, I didn't have Juniata in the landmark race for number one this year. Um, so maybe Juniata is better than we expected or Scranton's a little off kilter. Now, there was a lot of talk about players leaving the Royals squad in the offseason. I didn't dive into it too much because sometimes uh, it's just talk. We do know they lost some players. Maybe this is the growing pains um, that we expected, but a, a few years later, I think we expected some growing pains under Trevor Woodruff only because it's a new coach yet again. Remember, they lost their original, the, 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 the longtime Mike Strong, their longtime head coach, and they brought in an interim who was a disciple, for lack of a better description, of Mike Strong, and they continue to succeed. Then Trevor comes in, and they continue to succeed with the program that Mike Strong had built. Now we're transitioning. Trevor Woodruff is bringing in his recruits now. Maybe they're different. I, I really don't know. I, 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 I'm pleading completely guilty here, and I don't know if he's bringing in different types of players than Mike Strong used to bring in. I don't know. But maybe he is. And so we're seeing a transition here, and the players who were there are no longer interested in what Trevor's trying to pull off. And, and trust me, we see this with a lot of programs. I'm, I'm literally guessing. Maybe that's what's going on. But it's one loss, so maybe I'm going too deep into this. I'm fascinated by it, though. 
because it's not often, again, that both Scranton squads lose in conference on the same night. It happens maybe to a Catholic, um, but not not a Juniata, so hats off again. So I, maybe I'm going a little too far into that one on a lack of sleep and a lack, lack of energy and a lack of voice, so maybe I'm diving in too deep on that one, but we'll keep an eye out. By the way, Tufts and Rochester played in women's basketball. Tufts, obviously, the number one team in the country, Rochester, number nine. And Tufts beat Rochester 63-51. What's interesting about this that jumped out to me was Tufts got out to a 22-9 start in the first quarter, but Rochester responded in the second quarter and outscored the Jumbos 14-12. Tufts responded in the third 15-12, and Rochester responded in the fourth 16-14. So you take away that first quarter, or at least make the first quarter like the other three, and this is a nip-and-tuck game. Tufts clearly played well. Both teams shot reasonably well. The rebounding, there was no edge, even across the board. Rochester had a lot of turnovers. I haven't deep-dived to see if those were in the first quarter, the difference there. Tufts certainly had a few extra points based on those turnovers. And they had a lot more points inside than Rochester did. And you remember when we talked to Tufts head's coach, Carla Barubi, uh, a few episodes back, and she talked about how they got to get their inside presence to play better. Maybe we're starting to see a sign of that as they put up 32 against Rochester's 16 just in the paint alone. That said, what I'm trying to get at is I'm hoping the, the voters don't punish Rochester. I, and this is not a D3 thing. This is a, this is a voters thing in any top 25 I follow in any sport around the country. I am blown away how if a team is ranked behind another team, they somehow fall because they lost. And you may have heard me say this on the show before. It just doesn't make any sense to me. If you have a team ranked 15th and they lose to a team ranked 5th, isn't that how you predicted it would end? Now, there's extenuating circumstances. If it's a 40-point blowout, Maybe that's not what you predicted. If it's a five-point game, that might be what you predicted. If there's a player that's been lost or something along the lines that might impact the, the vote, and obviously there are other games during a week that can change your opinion. But just on the premise that everything re equal is remains the same except for this result, and that Rochester lost to Tufts, I hope... Rochester women won't take a hit in the top 25 because, again, top 25 voters clearly have said that Tufts is the number one team in the country and Rochester is not. And thus, one would hope Tufts would win that game. So we'll see what happens. And, and I only bring that up because I see it all the time. And I mentally think that through when I do my top 25. OK, I had Team A higher than Team B and Team A won. OK, Team B, you're not moving down. You might even move up if you played well in that game. Now, if there's other information that makes me make a decision, so be it. But I'm not going to punish a team necessarily for losing a game I'm basically predicting they're supposed to lose is basically where I'm getting at. Nonetheless, a good early season top 10 battle there between Tufts and Rochester that gave many people much information, as it were, probably a future NCAA tournament game this season as well haven't even talked about the guests coming up on the show maybe we should get to that tonight we're going to talk a little bit about milestones not diving too much into what's happened this week just due to the nature of my travels and and broadcasting responsibilities 
But uh, we're going to talk about milestones. Starting the season, Worcester's head coach Steve Moore had 800 wins. That's not too shabby. He's added a few to those, but he's also had a few losses that have been odd, only based on the wins that they've also had. Anyway, Steve Moore is going to join us to talk about those 800 wins and much more about his career. I wonder how much more we get of Steve Moore at Worcester. Remember, by the way, he started at Muhlenberg. We talked to Kevin Hopkins, the new Muhlenberg head coach, about that uh, in the preseason. Forgive me as a little cold is continuing to harass me here as well. Um, So we'll talk to Steve Moore coming up here on the show. Speaking of plateaus, I jokingly said a couple episodes ago that um, Mike, um, forgive me as my brain just, just froze there. Coach Miller, Mike Miller at, at Messiah, should thank Nancy Fay and Nancy Funk for leaving Division Three, whether it's re- retiring, as Nancy Funk did, or moving on to D1, as Nancy Fay did. Because as a result, and his continued wins, he is now the sixth active winning his coach in Division Three women's basketball. He would have been eighth, is what I'm trying to get at. <laughs> anyway... Messiah continues to win. The Falcons continue to do well, and Mike Miller continues to rack up victories. We talk to him often, but it's an enjoyable conversation. We will have him back on the show here coming up later tonight. Also, one other coach that we'll have on per milestones, Mike Durbin, the head coach at St. Benedict's. He is a ten- He's moved into the 10th all-time, I believe, or active wins list. We'll talk to him because we don't talk to St. Benedict's all that often. And I want to get also a different point of view on the MIAC. We usually talk to the top team, which tends to be St. Thomas or others. Once in a while, we've had Mike Durbin on. It'd be good to talk to him again, especially considering how well he has done with that program. A little bit under the radar. So we'll talk to him coming up. And then we're going to change gears. Have you ever heard of Resball? Well, if you've been a, a, a frequent uh, reader of D3Hoops.com, and you know about Res Ball, at least a little bit. Ryan Scott, our Around the Nation art, our, uh, columnist, did a tremendous story with it um, and talked about what Res Ball is, why it's so similar to Division Three in some degree, and on top of that, really why that is now starting to, be, to come into play in Division Three. There is a sophomore at Colorado College that we had to talk to. He comes out of a, a Native American um, reservation, and we will talk to him about his success already his sophomore year in Division Three at Colorado College. And the Tigers are having a good season, are expected to have a good season. So we'll talk to him about res ball. That's all coming up here on the show here tonight. Uh, just a quick reminder, we will have two more shows before another break. After this one, we will have a show coming up on Thursday evening. Uh, December, let's see, 7th. And then we'll have another show on the Sunday, uh, a week from today, December 10th. Then we will have a week off. I don't believe we're even going to try and get a podcast together. It is way too busy a week. As uh, I head to Salem, Virginia for the Stag Bowl week, including Gillardi Trophy presentation. That is the week of the 11th, so there will not be a show on the 14th. We will be back in time to do a show on the 17th. And then one final show before Christmas holidays, at least at this time, is scheduled for December 21st. 
that ends up being 10 days, or no, it gives us two weeks before we're back on the air. Obviously, we'll be at in Vegas at the D3Hoops.com Classic with content, but it gives us two weeks instead of two and a half weeks before we're back on the air. So that's what our plan is, and we hope you will enjoy it. Uh, or, or at least not have any problems with it. <laughs> so a lot going on in Division Three Again, in men's side, I feel like a broken record when I say it's parity. There's a lot of good teams. I don't think there's a lot of tremendously great teams. I think we've gotten used to the fact over the years of having at least a good bunch of teams that are tremendous, terrific, great. I don't know if we have great. Maybe Whitman is great, but they certainly have their flaws. We have a lot of good teams, and as a result, you're going to get a lot of losses, maybe non-top 25 teams beating top 25 teams, which then will change the top 25. And I think we're starting to see a little bit out of the women's side as well, not as as deep as we are on the men's side, but we're certainly seeing a little bit on the women's side. And when I was in Greensboro and doing all my research for the men's and women's soccer championships, I also was struck that I think it's somewhat similar in the men's soccer and women's soccer game, that the women have have their top teams. There's a tier there that you expect to see in the Final Four, as it were. For the top six teams in the coaches' poll, and I think in the D3Soccer.com poll, were in Greensboro for the championship. Whereas on the men's side, we had a 19 seed in Brandeis who nearly got to the championship for the second year in a row. And we didn't have really a, a top five team there. There's a little more parity, a little more depth on the men's side than the women's. And it reminded me a little bit of basketball, where it's it's harder to predict who's going to get to the Final Four and onto a championship in the on the men's side, where on the women's side, it's a little easier to predict. Granted, on the women's side in soccer, two uh, undefeated teams made it, and neither of them got to the championship game. But that's that's sometimes what happens. So a lot to talk about. I hope it all made sense to you. If you got any questions for us, tweet us at D3Hoopsville and hashtag Hoopsville. Email us, Hoopsville at D3Hoops.com. Join us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Hoopsville. We also have in, in our um, broadcast window on YouTube uh, an area where you can chat. If you happen to be directly on the YouTube page, um, we try and monitor that as best as possible. It does not mean that we are foolproof in that capability, but we will do our best um, and hope that you will... Uh, It will make sense to you. Uh, So that's going to be it. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Steve Moore will join us from Worcester. Talk about his tremendous career so far. A conversation we have certainly had with him in the past. But we'll find out more about what what has made this season maybe somewhat special. And also maybe pulling out the rest of his hair. You're listening to Hoops Hope presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC Studios. More Hoops will after this. I did receive a non-athletic scholarship upon entering uh, school. I got the presidential scholarship, which was huge for me. I think there's more opportunities for academic scholarships in Division Three. I did receive academic scholarships. Just being involved on campus, being a leader, all those things combined kind of get me recognized. It's a great experience for me. My name is Marcus Walker. I was All-State, won a state championship, a high school All-American, and played college and pro ball. I played because I love the game. I grind to be the best. I sweat because I put in work. I'm strong because I believe. 
when I want to bring it before game time, I come to the house that college basketball built, the CBE. No matter your skill, take it to another level. Elevate your game right here at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. It's on us to stop sexual assault. In any way that we can. To get a friend home safe. To never blame the victim. It's on us. To stand up. To make our community safe for all. It's on us. It's on us to look out for each other at parties. It's on us. To be more than just a bystander. To step up and say something. It's on us, all of us. To, to stop, stop sexual assault. Learn how and take the pledge at itsonus.org. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division III basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. I did receive a non-athletic scholarship upon entering uh, school. I got the presidential scholarship, which was huge for me. I think there's more opportunities for academic scholarships in Division III. I did receive academic scholarships. Just being involved on campus, being a leader, all those things combined kind of get me recognized. It's a great experience for me. My name is Marcus Walker. I was All-State, won a state championship, a high school All-American, and played college and pro ball. I played because I love the game. I grind to be the best. I sweat because I put in work. I'm strong because I believe. When I want to bring it before game time, I come to the house that college basketball built, the CBE. No matter your skill, take it to another level. Elevate your game right here at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. It's on us. And welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody. Hope uh, you're enjoying this Sunday edition of the show. If you got any questions for us, tweet us at D3Hoopsville and hashtag Hoopsville. You can email us, hoopsville at D3Hoops.com. You can join us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Hoopsville. Uh, we have uh, plenty to, uh, but we've gotten some suggestions, I should say, via email over the week. We will get back to those suggestions as soon as we can, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we're, we're into December, believe it or not, which feels like the season is officially no longer in the early section. We're at the part where conferences are starting and, and games now will affect a lot more. But we're still taking a chance to kind of recognize some of the milestones that have been achieved this season. And, of course, uh, for Worcester's Steve Moore, uh, they've had a, a lot. He's a lot to, to uh, celebrate. One of the facts is the fact that he has got 800 co career victories plus he came into the season with 800, and they've added on to that. And joining us on the Hoopsville Hotline, it is the aforementioned Steve Moore. Coach, welcome to Hoopsville, sir. Thank you, Dave. Good to be with you. Good to be with you as well. I appreciate you taking the time. Um, so I, an odd number, to be honest with you, to sit on, as it were, for the entire offseason. I don't know many coaches that sit literally on a career milestone for an entire offseason. Did did you get a chance to then think about it? Did it did it linger, or is it one of those kind of in and out your ear once it happened? I guess once it happened, move on, Dave. That, that's <laughs> way that's way you have to approach it. 
And I can understand that. I had a feeling that that was the uh, the the uh, option for you. Uh, but you did come in with 800. You guys won the first two games against uh, Oberlin and Madai. Uh, unfortunately, I've lost three of the last uh, two, three of the last four games. But more importantly, what do you expect of this program this season? Now that you're in your umpteenth season, is it is it getting to a point where you it's I don't want to say relaxed, but you're kind of going with the flow to some degree. Well, you're trying to get the best out of the team. It, you don't rise and fall as much. Well. Every new season's a new season, Dave, and every game's uh, <laughs> what you what you concentrate on. The next one, um, yeah, we're not off to a great start, but um, uh, we've we've played some good basketball at times. We've just been inconsistent, and um, uh, we'll have to try try and work on that and uh, be a more consistent basketball team. We should point out, by the way, your 800th win came against Ohio Wesleyan in the championship. So that's a tremendous gr- way to celebrate a milestone to get that. And then you guys got in the NCAA tournament and had an early exit. I felt like you guys last year, and this is kind of building to this year, last year maybe um, kind of came on strong at the end and had uh, a season many weren't predicting. I think many thought maybe you guys might not make the tournament last year, and you guys kind of came on strong at the end to, to earn it. Yes, I think we definitely were in a position where we needed to win the conference tournament uh, to get in, Dave. And uh, we did have a good second half of this season. And uh Improved a lot as the season went along, and uh, we're hoping to do that again this year. So I guess with that finish, along with the fact, and we'll talk more about it in a moment, the international trip that you guys had in the fall uh, to kind of get yourselves a little bit of extra practice, I, I almost expected the season maybe to start a little bit stronger. And granted, there are a lot of good teams now in Division Three, and I think starting a, a, a season uh, unblemished is nearly impossible but did you expect from the momentum last year and the extra practices you got that maybe this would be a bigger start to the season? Are, are you surprised at, at where you guys are at three and four? Or three and well, three, I should say? We were certainly hoping to get off to a better start than this, Dave. But as you said, uh, a lot of good teams. And, uh, you know, we played some tough non-league games. Uh, and then uh, the two conference games that we've lost uh, are two teams that are very good. Uh Denison is going to surprise a lot of people. They they graduated four starters, but uh, they had a lot of good players waiting in the wings who are, are stepping up and uh, were highly motivated to show what they could do. And then our loss yesterday was to a very good Wabash team, very very young, yeah, but very talented. Yeah, and uh, they they played extremely well. And of course, coming up, we've got Hiram and DePaul in conference action before you'll take a little bit of a break for finals. And then head down to Daytona and play St. Joseph's of Maine and then somebody else on the other side. And then uh, we'll talk more about the EM Moose Hole uh, Worcester Kiwanis Classic coming up. I want to discuss that. But before we get there, um, how do you then turn to this team and say, all right, we're, we're taking our lumps here, but you know the next game's almost a clean slate to, to some degree? Yeah, we're, we're, we're just concentrating on getting better, Dave. Uh, our, our, our focus is on Monday's practice, tomorrow's practice, and and try to improve. Uh, um, like I said, we've played some good basketball, um, you know, good wins against Madai and, and uh, Hanover, uh, and even in our loss yesterday to Wabash, uh, after viewing the film, um, certainly, you know, there were a lot of possessions where we didn't get the job done. Um, but during that game, I saw some good play on our, on our players' part. There, was, there were some good signs. Your defense uh, this year has had signs that certainly gotten some attention, and the win over Hanover 
12 blocks. You're averaging 5.7 blocks uh, per game, but unfortunately you're being outscored by the opponent by six. So is a defense as good as it seems from those early stats and it's the offense that's struggling or is it kind of every night's different? It's, it's a combination, Dave. Okay. When we haven't, when we haven't gotten the job done, uh, you know, we've been inconsistent at the, at the offensive end um, with some, you know, execution that's, that's not such a positive thing. Uh, maybe taking some ill-advised shots here and there. Uh, but we've been breaking down at the defensive end also, um, and we've got to get better at that end also. When you look at the fall where you guys went to Europe and, and spent some time and got to play and what you went through England, um, I'm, I'm remembering, let's see, uh, I'm sorry, you went we, to, uh, yeah, England, Ireland, and Scotland. I I'm sorry, primarily yep. Scotland we, and we, Ireland. Yeah, we did play one game in England. We really didn't stay overnight in England, but we drove down. For, we drove down from Edinburgh, about a two and a half hour trip okay. to Newcastle, and um, played a game there. So uh, three games in Ireland, and the one game in Scotland, and the one game in England. It was a great trip, no doubt about it. Uh, you know, players experience the culture of those countries. Uh, educational experience is awesome, uh, and the, and the basketball was good. We played some good basketball teams and. Uh, had a good experience, no doubt about it. Yeah, it's your sixth trip that you guys have taken. Uh, just quickly to everybody else: England and Scotland back in 2000, Germany and, Aust- and uh, Austria in 2004, 2008. You went to Italy, Ireland, and Scotland again in 2011, and you went to Spain in 2014. And every team can go every three years at the minimum. What what is the goal of a trip like that for you as a coach and for the program as a whole? It. Is it really about the experience of seeing other countries and, yeah, you get to play some games as well? Or is there another kind of benefit to you that you're hoping the team gets out of it? Well, you mentioned the two primary objectives, uh, Dave. And then third, of course, is, uh, as most everyone knows, when you take trips like this, uh, the team's able to bond and uh, grow closer together. And uh, that certainly happened for us. And uh, But, yeah, you, you know, you mentioned the two primary things, and that is, uh, play basketball games, uh, and also experience the culture of the other countries and the, the educational experience is uh, just uh, something that's uh, tremendous for the players and provides great memories for them for their entire lives. Yeah, certainly true to that. I've traveled through Europe. I would admit that. Uh, I, I would agree with that entirely. Uh, I still remember it many years later and will never forget. Made good friends that way. Does the practices end up helping you in the long run? Do you then hit October 15th and you guys are a step ahead? Or, or do you take a step back in some degree during, <laughs> during the, the time between? Well, we think it's, it's, it's a step forward and uh, it's a plus. Um, you know, our, our start to the season really doesn't indicate that. Maybe it was that big of an advantage, but uh, we really think it is. And, uh, um, you know, I think uh, we were able to sort some things out and, we're still continuing to sort some things out with our team, but uh, yeah, it was an advantage. And uh, and when we were able to start taking the trips in October over the fall break, it was uh, especially good because it leads right into the season rather than when we used to take the trips in August. Yeah, that certainly is true. Uh, it gives you less time to forget things, <laughs> as it were. Let's quickly sure. let's quickly talk about the team, and then I want to come back to the tournament and other things that are coming up. Reese uh, Dupler leading the team, a junior. 15.4 points a game, 4.2 rebounds, and 2.5 and assists. Uh, Spencer Williams, who we all have gotten to know, 14 points a game, nearly 5 rebounds a game. You also have uh, Danyan Hempy, a sophomore, 
at 11.3 and 9.3 points a game from Simon Texador, the, a junior. Nice mix there of, of a bunch of different class levels, as it were. There's a couple freshmen who have contributed so far, including uh, Keon Scott, who's played all six games. What's the dynamic of this team? What's the makeup uh, or maybe the character of this team that we should be looking for? Well, as you said, Dave, a good blend of all the classes. Uh, um, you know, we have uh, several seniors on the team. You mentioned Spencer Williams, but we have uh, uh, a couple other guys that are giving us some really good leadership. Uh, Captain Ari Stern and uh, um, Derek Schwarz and, and Ryan Wolby. Um and then Alex Baptiste is another captain. So good senior leadership on the team, and uh, um, our, it's a very close knit group. Uh, you know, they're they're they bonded on that trip, as I said, and uh, getting along very well. And uh, good team chemistry at this point. This is gonna be an, maybe an odd question, but do you think the team ever feels the pressure of the history of Worcester Benz basketball? And I, I mean that in the sense that. Everyone expects you to be ranked in the top 25. You were 25th this past week. Um, this is a program that's been to 15 straight NCAA tournaments, 20 um, more more wins, 21 straight seasons. Is this? Do you think the team knows that history and feels pressure by it, or is that something they thrive off of? Well, I I think uh, our players understand the tradition, and uh, I don't I don't know that uh, they really feel pressured. One thing that they do know and they understand is that uh, whoever we play is going to give us uh, their very best shot. Mm -hmm. And uh, most every time we go out, we're facing a very highly motivated team. And uh, and that makes it tougher, but, you know, that's where you want to be. Worcester's the winningest men's NCAA team, any division of the 2000s. You have an 832 winning percentage currently. Amherst is 821. Duke is 821. Kansas is 819. I mentioned the 20 or more uh, uh, wins per season for 21 straight. That ties Duke for the second longest. Kansas is only longer at 28. Um, and again, 15 straight years in the in the NCAA tournament in Kansas, 28, Duke, 20, Michigan, 20. A lot of D1s I'm mentioning. I'm not talking a lot about D3s except for Amherst. Does that give you recognition when you're out there recruiting? or when you're running into other coaches, especially from other divisions, that they know that this isn't just a Division three squad. This is one of the best in all of college basketball? Well, I think it certainly helps, Dave, to have a winning tradition uh, in recruiting. Uh, you know, certainly young men uh, like to play uh, in successful programs, so I think it's definitely a big boost and definitely a help. Yeah, of course, at three and three start, but we highly don't expect that to, to continue. Uh, coming up, as we mentioned, uh, after Christmas, you'll have uh, WPI, Alma, and Emory and Henry at your place for the 55th consecutive year of the EM Moose or Moose uh, Hole Worcester Kiwanis Classic. That's a, a nice long title. Uh, it gives it some yep. uh, some credibility for sure. Th- this is a tournament that has been a long for a long time, and I know it's been uh, very important to you. You even have a clothing drive that, that goes along with this thing that benefits Goodwill. Um, donations are good for a half-price admissions ticket, for example. What does this tournament mean to you outside of just making sure you maybe come out with two wins? <laughs> well, it, as you said, a uh, long-standing uh, tournament, Dave, and uh, um, we like to bring in good teams every year, and we have an outstanding field this year with the other three teams coming in, all being very good. And uh, um, so, and, and we get 
a lot of fan support for it. Uh, of course, the students are not on campus. We have the uh, winter break, but um, there's a tradition of the townspeople coming out. Uh, started years ago. Alva and we, former head coach mm-hmm. and athletic director at the college, is a, is a man who who started the tournament. Uh, he was ahead of his time in a lot of ways, and uh, uh, it was a great thing when it started and it's continued on. And uh, uh, we're very proud of the tournament, and uh, uh, it's. Uh, it's a good uh, atmosphere for the games, and visiting teams really enjoy it. You also do fundraisers uh, for coaches versus cancer, uh, benefit people-to-people ministry, Goodwill Industries, as I mentioned, the NABC Dream to Read program uh, is other things that you've been, you have you belong to. You take a lot of pride in giving back to the community, don't you? Well, I think that's, uh, that's important, Dave. And, uh, you know, the community does a lot for our basketball program. It gives us great support and uh our players realize that, and they're they're glad to be involved in a lot of those things that you mentioned, and uh, give the uh, fundamentals clinic for kids uh, every year, and uh, that's very enjoyable for them, and they get a lot of satisfaction out of that. Speaking of giving back, you've also been a member of the NABC Congress, served on the NABC Ethics Committee. Uh, you even had a, the opportunity to serve as four years on the NCAA Rules Committee. I'm curious, having been a person who's sat on that committee and known how those those rules are either debated, crafted, um, scrapped, <laughs> maybe recreated to some degree, what do you think of the rules we've got in place now and, and the direction the game has gone in? Well, I think uh, the game's in great shape, Dave, and uh, um, you know I don't know that we need to make a lot more changes, but... Um, uh, the, the rules committee does a great job. It was a very good experience serving on it. And, uh, um, you know, the officials that are involved, uh, they, they are very serious about the whole thing. And uh, um, I think that's a very important part of it is each year, you know, the, the rules of the game change some, but the emphasis on uh, certain rules and the officiating is, is what's really important every year. When you look at how much has changed, we're now men's basketball is pretty much the only level now still playing halves. Uh, everybody has gone to quarters. Women's basketball, obviously, uh, two seasons ago, is is that a move you'd endorse if we move to quarters? Is there any rule in particular you look at and go, you know what, that we need to change that or that needs to be adjusted? Oh, I know that there's a lot of um, support for moving toward quarters, Dave, and I think a lot of it has to do with the. Uh, you know, a lot of people want the game to be more closely resembling the international game mm-hmm. and, and get there as close as we can to that. But personally, I, I like halves. I, I guess I'm a traditionalist, but uh, <laughs> I, I watched our women play the quarters, and uh, I prefer the halves myself. That's just a personal feeling. When you go to Europe, do you play your rules or do you play the European rules? The international? The international yeah, you yeah, do? Yeah, okay. the FIBA rules, yes, sir. Uh-huh. That's what I was curious. I just wasn't sure. And sometimes those trips you can maybe dictate things. Sometimes you got to do what you got to do. Um, yeah, you put the twenty-four second shot clock, and uh, the the arc is a little bit further out at twenty-two feet all the way around. So, yeah, that's something you have to adjust to. <laughs> Certainly. Uh, back to you individually again. You're sitting second in the all-time Division three career wins list behind Glenn Robinson. I'm, I don't think you're going to catch him, Steve. I don't mean that negatively. He just doesn't. He won't quit, um, and he continues to win. Uh, you have 103. Uh, Glenn's at 930 plus. I don't remember the exact number. You're at 803. The only other active coach is Dave Hickson at four. Uh, started the season at 784. Now he's at 788. Is the goal here to make sure you stay ahead of Hickson? 
No. <laughs> no, I'm not concerned about any of that, Dave. I just, I just want to win Wednesday. Yeah, I can understand that. Um, speaking of Wednesday, you'd lo- I know you guys want to get off the, the 500 mark and continue winning. you got Hiram and DePaul. And obviously, in conference, you'd like to get back on uh, up on things since Dennison and Wabash have both tripped you up. So what are you telling the team? What, what's the message been to the team here uh, since the result against Wabash and, and with Hiram coming up that, that gets them maybe pointed in the right in, not the right direction. I don't want to say it that way, but points them towards a win, I guess, is the best way yeah. to say it. Well, just improve, Dave. Just make ourselves better. Uh, have a good practice on Monday. Have a good practice on Tuesday. Uh, become a more consistent basketball team. Um, there are certain specific things that we have to get better at, of course. Certain things defensively, pressuring the passer better. Um, just uh, overall intensity. Um, but uh, just... The main goal is to improve, Dave. That's we're not thinking about winning these this many games or yeah. what we have to do for the conference. We just want to improve right now. That's the main thing. Um, curious. I, I hate to ask. You've been coaching since '82. Started at Muhlenberg. Were there for I think five seasons or so. Then moved on to Worcester, and you've been there ever since since 1988. Um, have you thought about what life would be like and and what it would be not to be on the sideline? Um, not really. Um, I guess I just go just doing my job and going year to year and, uh, and not sure how much longer I'll coach, but, uh, I feel good right now and, uh, want to coach well this year and see what happens. So I'm guessing we're, we're not going to have to worry about hearing an announcement of your retirement anytime soon. Well, I'm not planning on that. Awesome. That's all we wanted to make sure of. We, we don't want to see Worcester necessarily without. With that being said, you've had to get used to a new Wittenberg head coach on the other side of things. Yes. Um, <laughs> Matt Crosey, head coach down there at Wittenberg, is doing a good job, and they're off to a very good start, as there are a lot of teams in our conference. Our league is really going to be tough this year. Well, and great segue. My last question was going to be, what do you expect of the NCAC this year? Ohio Wesley and yourselves, Wittenberg, it looks like others are, are have come to play. How competitive is this conference going to be this season? I think it's already been shown in our situation, that's for sure, Dave. Yeah. Uh, you know, Wabash is, uh, like I said, very talented, but very very young, but very talented team. And, uh, and even the other teams that haven't been mentioned are very competitive. Yeah, it certainly should be fun to watch. Well, Coach, I appreciate you taking time out of your Sunday to chat with us. Congratulations, as I always say, on on a tremendous career to this point. Um, I, I, I look forward to seeing where the Scots uh, move the rest of the season. If we can see you back in a 16th consecutive NCAA tournament, maybe with another NCAC title. As always, though, we give you the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those tuning in? Well, just thank you, Dave. Thanks for having me on, and thank you for all you do for Division Three basketball. Uh, what you do is remarkable and much appreciated by all the coaches and fans, that's for sure. Well, that's awfully kind of you, sir. I appreciate it. Um, you enjoy your holidays, and I look forward – well, enjoy the uh, the uh, tournament as well over the holidays, and I look forward to talking to you sometime down the road. Thank you, Dave. Absolutely. Take care. He is Steve Moore joining us from Worcester, the head coach, longtime head coach. Again, he started at Muhlenberg in 1982. He's now been at Worcester since 1988, 800 and three total career wins. You know what's something interesting? I don't know if I've ever mentioned this on the show. His 12th ever win as a head coach while at Muhlenberg was against Worcester at the Most Hole Classic. That's pretty impressive. He then moved on to Worcester and got his first win at Worcester, his 88th 
career victory against Marietta in 1987. So pretty heck of a career. I'm glad to hear on there he's not thinking about retirement. That means for anybody out there who thinks they're going to get the Worcester job anytime soon, you're not. And we get to enjoy Steve Moore a little bit more in this uh, Division Three level. Certainly hats off to him. Rough start so far. 3-3, three and 0-2 three, oh in the conference. Hiram coming up. Maybe a chance to, to right the ship, as it were. But it looks like the NCAC could be a heck of a battle this season. And we're just getting started. Going to take another break. We'll talk to another coach who has... Had a heck of a career himself. Mike Miller from Messiah will join us. You'll listen to Hoops Hope presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC Studios. We'll be back with more after this. For the love of the game, but for those of us who are Division Three student-athletes, it's more than that, a lot more. Sure, the game is important, but as we work so hard to build both mind and body, it's more about team. That is why NCAA Division Three teamed up with Special Olympics. And in giving the gift of sport to those for whom it seemed an impossible dream, we are working to make this a better world. Help us keep that dream alive. You can make a difference. This is why we love sports. It's in the way they play, free from the pressures and all the money talk. Playing for simply the love of the game, where everyone has a shot at their definition of success on and off the field. This is what we love about sports and what we can still love about college sports. We've got more schools than Division I, more fans than Division II, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division III basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. College basketball lives in Kansas City at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. The College Basketball Experience is the place to get your game on. It's not a museum, it's an experience you won't forget. Discover the history of the game in the National Collegiate Basketball Hall of Fame, featuring the Gallery of Honor, Mentor's Circle, and Honor Theater. Suit up in the latest CBE-logoed Nike gear at the CBE Hoop Shop. Elevate your game today and visit the house that college basketball built. For the love of the game, but for those of us who are Division III student-athletes, it's more than that, a lot more. Sure, the game is important, but as we work so hard to build both mind and body, it's more about team. That is why NCAA Division Three teamed up with Special Olympics. And in giving the gift of sport to those for whom it seemed an impossible dream, we are working to make this a better world. Help us keep that dream alive. You can make a difference. This is why we love sports. We'll cut that uh, commercial off. You're listening to Hoops Hope, presented by D3Hoops.com for the WBCA and ABC Studios. I'm your host, Dave McHugh. Thank you for tuning in tonight, talking milestones on the show primarily. Coaches who have hit significant uh, points of their careers, as it were. And coaches, coaches who I don't think are going anywhere anytime soon. At least Steve Moore in the last segment uh, gave us the indication that he doesn't think he's going to be going anywhere anytime soon. He's not thinking about it at the very least, which is certainly wonderful to hear. Um, as we are 
working our way through another basketball season for him and keeping the Worcester Scots in the conversation. As you may or may not know, if you are just tuning in, I was at the Division Three Men's and Women's Soccer Championships this weekend calling them for NCAA.com. It was my honor to do so and certainly enjoyed it, though it is not an easy job, as I have found, to call for soccer games in a single day. But that said, the Messiah Falcons men's soccer team got down there and had two of the more incredible games uh, of the entire weekend, uh, winning 3-2 in the semis and going on to win 2-1 in the championship for an 11th national title in men's soccer in 11 tries in the last 18 years. You thought Mount Union football was good. Messiah soccer, congratulations to them. I use that as my transition to talk about the fact that the next guest also knows how to win at Messiah. A lot of teams know how to win at Messiah, but the women's program has been under good hands under Mike Miller for a long time, and now he's got 602 wins to prove it. Sixth winningest active coach in Division Three women's basketball. I jokingly have said this a few times on the air. He has to thank Nancy Fay, and he has to thank Nancy Funk, or he'd still be stuck in the eighth spot. But at least he has moved up, and he continues to win, and the Messiah women's program continues to be one of those programs in the Mid-Atlantic you do not discount. Joining us on the Hoopsville Hotline, the aforementioned Coach Mike Miller. Coach, welcome to Hoopsville. Uh, thank you very much. It's good to be back. I appreciate you taking the time. Have you officially sent Nancy Fay and Nancy Funk any thank you notes? Uh, I have not, and I, <laughs> I, I doubt, and I doubt I will. I am good friends with Nancy Funk. I, I know you are. Face Nancy at the side, so yeah. I know how yeah. crazy is yeah. that. And that yeah, was that was my yeah. next step. Part of this was Nancy Funk was a graduate of Messiah. She then went and coached Messiah for a period of time, took the Hopkins job, and you took over for her at the Falcons. That, right. That's yeah, incredible. It's, yeah, it's kind of nuts um, how it all went down, too. So, uh, so we you know, obviously became good friends through the years and, and made a point of playing each other every year. Yeah, and, so, and yeah. I hope that tradition continues despite the fact yeah. it's Catherine Bixby. But I have a feeling she'll want to play you. Um, yeah. What's it mean to you to be at 602? For, forget 602. To be to have gotten to 600, what does it mean to you? Yeah, um, obviously, you know, you get asked that question uh, quite a few times yeah, once I it happens. <laughs> yeah, um, and quite honestly, um, what it's meant to me is a sense of it. It's not obviously not the wins. Uh, I don't think any coach gets into it for this stuff, uh, but it just got me really reflective on what uh, what I've done with my life for the last thirty-two years and how fast life actually goes. <laughs> um, and just thinking about all the great families and players and that uh, that have that I've gotten my wife and I have and coaches I've gotten to work with and, and they've also in, impacted us and just uh, kind of how blessed quite honestly it, mm-hmm. it just kind of stopped and thought about wow like my kids weren't even born when I started doing this and they're married yeah. and you know that kind of stuff and just it can go really fast so I'm really I mean I feel really blessed that we the quality of people that I've been able to get to know and be involved in has just been unbelievable and um, so I mean that's that's kind of what that's my thoughts about it. Other than I, you know, I didn't get fired, um, so it, it was the other thing too. I, you know, I didn't get fired, so um, so I'm still here. So that's yeah. You know, but there, there's the two things. So you're the 15th coach to get to the mark in Division Three history. You're, the, as we mentioned, the sixth active coach to get to that. You're off to the 6-0 and 0 start, and I know to some degree that the 600 wins to you, to Steve Moore, the 800 wins, and to anybody else I talk about this that. They don't care about the wins. They don't care about the milestones. But 
was it on your mind at the very least knowing that it was coming and there's going to be some fanfare about it and let's just get it out of the way or did you not even pay attention to it um somewhere in the middle of that um i was thinking about it uh my you know i can just say this i didn't thank the team or the or even assistant coaches uh, i think a couple of assistant coaches uh weren't even aware it was a tuesday night before thanksgiving not an mm-hmm. away game yeah and one of the parents had some signs and stuff and that was the first time they kind of remembered and thought about it, it was on my mind because i didn't want to go up to like i mean even one more win and give them something else, and and give them something else to fight for, you know. Like, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, quite honestly, that's that was what was on my mind. Like, if we can get this this third one, you know, or this fourth one down at Eastern, then Black Coming then can't use that in their pregame. So I was going to say exactly. What, <laughs> don't go into conference yeah. play needing a plateau or giving them a, a right. reason to beat you, right? Right. Yeah. So, and who knows? That one possession might have mattered. Now it did matter. So, hopefully, maybe that was a. A good thing. So. Yeah, you ended up coming out with a four-point win uh, over yeah. Lycoming. Yeah. Again, you yeah. got the win at Eastern. Of course, Eastern's been a, a, a solid program o- over the years. And, and my point being, they're off to an, an unfortunate start right now at 0-5. But my bigger point being is you tend to go out there and schedule anyway hard teams. And you know yeah. the Hopkins of the world, the Geneseos, you play Geneseo this year at your place in, on amongst right. a very busy weekend. Yes, you right. have a Lancaster Bible in there occasionally, but you've got FDU Florham coming up at Scranton, which means you might end up playing Scranton. You got Western New right. England and Wellesley coming up. You don't shy away from people, so the 600 win feels like maybe even bigger number because you don't mind playing tough teams. No, I yeah, I, I that, that's correct. Um, I would, I mean, I just think it's uh, at times it's harder to to get tough teams to. I mean, it's just harder to get good games at times too between budgets and. And everything, but I, you know, anytime we can bring in somebody in our tournament um, and things like that, we want to do that. Um, it's it's uh, you know, since our league has expanded to nine teams, it just added so many league games. So we lost yeah. some traditional. We we would play Scranton and DeSales every year regular season. Yeah, you know, and those kind of things, and we kind of lost some of those big games. So so I'm, I'm really thrilled to work back at the Scranton tournament, and we got SUNY Geneseo came into our tournament, so it's it's good for us. Uh, DeSales sitting on the other side of the Mac from you guys, for those who are yeah. not familiar. Yeah. Hey, the yeah. win over Geneseo, obviously a big one. They're, they're a program maybe that's retooling a little bit. Um, and the right. win over Hopkins, maybe also a, a, a team that's retooling. But I was surprised by how you beat Hopkins, 88-42. That's still a good team over there at the Blue Jays. You, they, Geneseo's still a good team, and you beat them by 12. About, was it three years ago, I had you on this show. And you guys were struggling, and you said to yeah. me, watch this team. By the end of this season, we're going to be in the conversation. You are, right. you did, by the end of that season, become part of the conversation. You haven't left the conversation now, but looking at what I'm seeing in results, are you a bigger part of this conversation than we, than we may realize? Um, yeah, I mean, we are. Um, you know, doing this a long time, and um, this is one of our best teams ever, and we're really, I mean, we got – six starters that are, can can really play and two people that are pushing them right behind them. Um, we got all the positions covered. Um, we actually haven't had our starting center yet because of injury. Oh, uh, she got hurt, she, uh, and she just came back last on Friday night. So she, we didn't have her for all the other What games. a luxury. And, yeah, so, I mean, we found ways to win against these teams and on the road, and and now we, we'll get her back in the fold and get her ready to go. And uh, her name, she's a junior, 6'2". Um, left-hander, Alicia um, Roar. So she'll be back, you know, now with us. So, yeah, we're really thrilled. We're we're pretty good. I mean, it's that, you know, um, and uh, it is one of our better teams for sure. 
and they were all young players. They were freshmen um, two years ago. They're freshmen, sophomores two right. years ago, and now they're, now they're juniors and seniors. Yeah. And that's what I love about you is, and again, yeah. I think it was three years ago, I, I said, okay, I'll take that note. And by the end of the year, I'm like, darn it all. Look at this. Yeah. They're on a run. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you're ranked 21st in the D3hoops.com top 25. You're basically telling me that's too low. Um, I wouldn't say that. Okay. Um, no, I mean, I'm, I wouldn't necessarily. I, I think until, that, and then the problem is, you know, with the schedule, until we beat a top 10, I don't think we should be in a top 10. You know, oh, that okay. Is yeah, that, okay. Is that is that's how I. Yeah. You know, I think you have to earn your way in there, um, and you know, and we're not gonna, you know, we we just have to take care of business, and and you know, and, and rankings are great. It's great for it's wonderful recruiting. Uh, <laughs> it's wonderful for my boss. Yeah, uh, and that kind of stuff. But uh, it you know, it doesn't really mean a lot. Um, but uh, but at the same point, it's it's a it's a good measurement because you know, if you're in the ballpark in there, you know, you have a pretty good team. So. Speaking of you know being a battle, uh, this this conference has certainly gotten deeper over the years. It, it had been a two or three horse race. Yourselves, right. yeah. uh, um, Stevenson, Lebanon Valley had been in the conversation. Now Albright, yeah. and, now, and now Albright, yeah, yeah, Albright's yeah. getting into the mix here. You mentioned Lycoming; they seem to be improved. They certainly took you to the wire. Is right. is this conference uh, turning into what the men's is like? Uh, in the sense that it's it, on any given and any given uh, conference night, somebody's going to win, and it's not necessarily yeah. going to be the favorite. Right, and I, I think uh, from top to bottom, uh, we were a little bit down in the last couple of years, and I really think, you know, from one to nine, like uh, everybody's a little bit better. Mm-hmm. So there are there aren't going to be those those games where you're just going to not play well and be successful. Like you're going to have to, you know, you're going to have to play well, and that's and that's a change. Uh, I think uh, you know the, the people who have been not as successful have all improved, and you can just look at, you know, I actually just brought that up today, and just uh, I just wanted to see where everybody was overall, and I think I think everybody's 500, you know, at that point, you know, so which is really good going through the non-league part of it. So, uh, quickly about your team, Leah Springer's yeah. uh, 22 yes. points a game, um, right. 10.8 rebounds a game, 11 blocks, which is averaging just shy of two plus assists and yeah. a half a game. And then, by the way, you also have Macy Thornton at 13, nearly 14 points a game, 12 and a half from Caitlin Hoff. Alicia Rohr, as you mentioned, two games in, but she's got eight and a half points and four and a half rebounds. But yeah. Springer just leaps out at you, no pun intended, from the stat sheet. But tell me a little bit <laughs> yeah. more about this squad. Yeah, um, yeah. Thanks for asking about overall. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Leah um, uh, is a, is a great player. She was an All State player, um, and uh, we were bringing her off the bench, and when when our center got hurt we started her um so that's just that what that has done is just added more depth and created more you know more competition and just uh a, a, i mean even just a confidence that we're gonna we'll figure this out uh and we have between leah and kristen smallock and jen fairbanks who's, who's, and jen doesn't necessarily stuff the stat sheet but uh, they're all extremely versatile players who can handle the ball defend multiple positions uh kind of like that seamless type of basketball the NBA is mm-hmm. kind of going to. So we're able to defend, find different ways to defend the other team's best players and have depth in doing that. And so we have, we can, we have depth to defend big kids. We have that great three player. that's like some teams have, we have, we have at least two people that can defend any one spot, you know, to give us and just keep pressure on people. So, so that's part of that, that depth. And we have a really, really strong bench as well. Like everybody in the roster can play. 
So well, I mean, it's just it's just fun that way. And so. you've got size. Uh, Roar yes. listed at six two. I didn't check with Steve on whether these were uh, accurate measurements, but oh, six two, yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. six foot. Uh, Roar is six two, and Springer is six foot, and a couple of, yeah. of, of lengthy five five teners uh, in there right. as well. The size is so important in the women's game now. I've found that you can have an all guard lineup. You're only going to go so far. You need something right. inside. It seems like that's something you have. You guys have mastered as well. Yeah, I, and I totally agree with that. And we say to our kids, like we have to figure out how to defend through the regular season when there aren't bigs, because you can't necessarily have your six two kids run around guarding guards, mm-hmm. great good guards. But then once you hit, you know, this, this you know round thirty two, the Sweet Sixteen, you better have bigs. You know, because you're not going to find teams running four out with a you know five eleven center. Right. You know, it's you know so like being able to have a roster that can get you through the regular season, and then also have one that can can take you deep in the NCAA's is is, is a really great asset. And that's one of the things going back to like like being there and doing doing that before. Like this roster is built to to have a chance to do that. Yeah. You know, and make a run. You know, have they be able to play both ways. So. Got Arcadia coming up at home and Alvernia on yeah. the road in the next two conference games to take place yeah. in the next week. Then you'll have FDU yeah. Florham after the finals before, uh, up at Scranton where you'll be part of that Scranton tournament. Right. How do you keep the team focused here, not only because you're off to a good start and now Arcadia and Alvernia have got you, you got you marked more than they may have had before, and how do you keep right. them focused with the finals? Um, no, that's a great question. Um, quite honestly, it's I don't um, – the, the players. This is an exceptional group of players, and and they uh, they make sure I'm focused. And I don't mean that that stupidly. Or um, they just they, they're into the process. Uh, they're 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 in the gym early. Um, I thought about not having practice Saturday because we played Friday night, and they're like, no, we need to practice. Hmm. And then then we had three of our players hop in a car and went to the men's soccer game. You know, five, you know, felt 400 miles away. <laughs> no, but instead of saying, but instead of saying no, I think it's a good idea. We don't have practice. Uh, and then so they leave early. They actually said, no, we need to have practice. We need to get up. We need to break a sweat. You know, and that kind of stuff. So um, you know, their their focus uh, is is on each other and on getting better. Um, and there's really just a great buy-in. Uh, other years that may be a little bit different, but this year and I mean for the last year and a half, two years, um, they just they just they want it. They understand there's an investment to be successful, um, and they're they're even proactively helping me figure out what that investment might look like. Yeah, 388 miles from Messiah to the stadium. <laughs> just for the record, yeah. Um, yeah. I thought maybe there was a chance I passed the bus today, but I don't think so. They were going yeah. the other direction. But okay. to go yeah. down there and that's pretty hats off to them. But you gave me a perfect segue. Yeah. Um, men's soccer has won now 11 championships. Men, right. Women's soccer has won five. The other right. weekend, I noticed that not only did men's soccer was hosting, women's soccer was on the road. Field hockey was at the national championship weekend as well. Uh, you had a three-team, let's call it, event. Um, yeah. Men's basketball had a four-team tournament. Um, right. Let's see. Wrestling was in, at Mount Union, and swimming was hosting Lycoming, and all of them are expected to win because everyone's good. Um, what is the environment like at Messiah? Um, because it feels like, for lack of a better description, it feels like the power programs of Division Three, but without the rec- name recognition necessarily. It's almost outside of soccer, like everyone's flying under the radar. Yeah, I mean, I I would. I don't know if I, yeah, I, I understand where you would say that. And I, I agree. People are thinking about soccer, but field hockey won the national championship last year. Right. Yeah. And lost uh, in the national championship this year. Right. Um, yeah. So it's an interesting thing. I, I just, 
Um, I'm not going to – don't know really how to answer that question, but I can just say from my own point of view, um, the first soccer team with uh, with Coach Brandt that won national championship, mm-hmm. uh, that's the first time people even thought – like that's before the internet basically and, yeah. and everything. And it's like you didn't even really know what was possible if you had a successful season. And and that kind of opened the door to see, you know, like there's there's just more out there if you really want to, you know, go go to be great. Yeah. Uh, there's just more out there. And then I think what has happened is all the teams there's a there's there's no sense that if somebody's having a bad year, like how come everybody else gets to win and I don't? But there's a sense of how can we help each other? Mm-hmm. Um, and and there's just a real there's a real rooting that everybody does well. Um, and I think that's one of the special things about being at a place like Messiah. You don't. Uh, you have a lot of humble people and a lot of people that are team players, um, and uh, they're not just looking out for their own kingdoms, if you will, inside their inside their their teams. So, um, so I think that's just a really, you know, it's just a really really good thing. Um, it, it's a really great thing to be a part of. A lot of people say that good programs breed other good programs, and we see examples of that in some degree. We also see where right. it doesn't happen. It, right. Is that what's going on here, that soccer helped kind of break through and now all the programs are like, well, we can do that too? Or is this – Is do you also have – and I, I mean this seriously. Do you have that special yeah. niche because you are a, a unique Christian organization where you're not, you're not only winning, but now you've got certain student-athletes who are like, wait, if, if I want to do more than just be a good – a Christian, I don't want to say it that way, but that's where I'm kind of thinking. Right, I and yeah. I want to do well at athletics. At one point, I thought I had to split that. Now I can do it all. Have you found that the culture has changed with recruits? Has the culture changed with the school? Right, and I think. Well, I think. Um, I think the culture at, at the school has not changed. Um, I do think. I do think our our society, such as all the all the families and their and their daughters and sons, they 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 want it all. Yeah, uh, and 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 they're not going to settle. Um, and and one of the things we offer, I mean, we have what you what you mentioned is really really true with respect to athletics and the spiritual side of our campus and and, and student body, but also like our academics, especially like the, like in our world, the sciences are really exploding. Well, we yes. have an unbelievably great science department. Yes. So so in that sense, uh, like all, especially on the women's side, like. You know, people go into occupational therapy, nursing, uh, pre-med, all those kind of majors. Um, massage the place. So, if you're a Christian, you're a good athlete, and and you want to be able to get into grad school, um, this massage the place. So, it's it's the whole package, not just the two things. I've so, always been fascinated yeah, yeah. Uh, since I first played against you, I believe, or at least yeah. was at an event that a Messiah school was was involved in. Always been fascinated, and of course, it took it to another level this uh, this year when I got to. Uh, called yeah. the, the soccer championships, but thanks for answering those questions. I appreciate yeah. it. Um, but yeah, no yeah. pressure on you winning a national title, though. Now that soccer and all of them are still continuing to do so well, well, right? No, I've already dealt with that because this, you know, they've been doing it since 2000. So I think you know, I'm I don't feel any pressure at all. So every every sport's uniquely different, and uh, you know, we just just like the previous coach, you just you just coach the next game <laughs> to the best, you know, to the best of your ability, and and you see where you end up, and uh, and when you you know when you have a talent, you hopefully will do. More that year than when you didn't have as much talent. By the way, so. your your players got home, right? Yes, I wanted to laugh because I was like, I was definitely like a father. <laughs> like they had to text me when they got down there, and they text me when they were back. So you should have texted me, and I would have gone checked on them for you. <laughs> yeah, that's 
that's probably pre- yeah. I should have done that. So. No, they're very trustworthy. <laughs> no, I know they are, and I certainly yeah, would yeah, not have not have yeah. suggested otherwise. Well, hey, yeah. I, I appreciate you taking the time uh, to join oh, my us. Pleasure. Um, yeah. I love chatting with you. I, I also love that you're not afraid to. You're not a coach speak coach. I mean, you're willing to say what you think about your program, and yeah. I love that about it. And I appreciate the time. Um, good luck the rest of the season. I'm going to try and get up there for a game or two this season. I haven't been able to do it in a while, so and I want to see the new gym. Yeah, it's um, wonderful. Yeah. I can, I, I, it's not new in the sense of it's in a new place. You guys just redid it, right? Right. Yeah, it used to be our practice gym, and they did a great job. And then we have new wellness center and locker rooms yeah. and stuff. So yeah, I'll, I'll make sure I show you around. I'll, I'll give the red carpet. Treatment. There we go. Well, I, I will try and get out. If you don't, I'll call Steve King. Um, yeah. <laughs> Steve's going to ignore me. He's done with me. He's He's had yeah. me. I've gotten you on, and he had me for soccer. He doesn't need me for another yeah. 13 months. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for the taking the time, Coach. As always, we give the coach the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those tuning in? No, just from your previous coach as well. Like I just uh, The time that you, and the energy and the passion you have for Division Three athletics and obviously for women's basketball, being an advocate, um, I can't thank you enough, and uh, and just want to wish you Merry Christmas. Thank you, so. sir. Merry Christmas okay. to you as well. I okay. look forward to seeing you down the road. All right, thanks, Dave. All right, take care. Bye. Mike Miller joining us from Messiah. Uh, by the way, awesome soccer fans, Messiah fans. Uh, the best cheers were them and and maybe North Park. Chicago traveled well. Everybody else traveled well too, but Messiah fans, uh, I loved it. They were terrific. Um, but hats off to uh, the women's soccer program and Mike Miller on win number 602. Going to take another break. When we come back, we're going to change gears. We'll come back to our milestone topics in a bit. We're going to talk about res ball. Have you heard of it before? No? Have you read Ryan Scott's article about res ball? Then if you have, you kind of know what we're talking about. We'll talk to a very u- unique student athlete in Division Three basketball. Maybe not as unique as you think he is. Maybe he was perfect for Division Three basketball. We'll find out when we come back. You listen to Hoopsville presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA NABC studios. More Hoopsville after this. Division Three allows you to give yourself to other things. Having that free time allows me to pursue the things that I want to pursue. Division three athletics affords students the opportunity to, you know, engage in the other interests in their campus and in their lives outside of that sport. It allows you to just be able to do everything you want to do. How it wouldn't change it for the world. I'm a Division three student athlete, and I know how powerful words can be. The term gay doesn't mean stupid, lame, or less than. So I pledge to speak up if I hear the term gay used in a derogatory way or any other homophobic terms. If you can play, you can play in Division III. I'm a Division III student athlete and my teammates unconditionally accepted me as part of their family. So now I pledge to do the same for others. If you can play, you can play in Division III. I used to never really talk, ever. Uh, I was afraid if I said something wrong, everyone would laugh at me. But then I started to play golf with Special Olympics. It helped me to find my voice. And now everyone else is speechless. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. 
from eastern to occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. Division Three allows you to give yourself to other things. Having that free time allows me to pursue the things that I want to pursue. Division Three Athletics affords students the opportunity to, you know, engage in the other interests in their campus and in their lives outside of that sport. It allows you to just be able to do everything you want to do. How wouldn't change it for the world? I'm a Division Three student athlete, and I know how powerful words can be. The term gay doesn't mean stupid, lame, or less than. So I pledge to speak up if I hear the term gay used in a derogatory way or any other homophobic terms. If you can play, you can play in Division Three. I'm a Division Three student athlete, and my teammates unconditionally accepted me as part of their family. So now I pledge to do the same for others. If you can play, you can play in Division Three. I used to never really talk, ever. Uh, I was afraid if I said something wrong, everyone would laugh at me. But then I started to play golf with Special Olympics. It helped me to find my voice. And now everyone else is speechless. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at W. Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody. I'm your host, Dave McHugh. Hope you're enjoying the show. If you've got questions for us, tweet us at D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. Email us, Hoopsville at D3Hoops.com. Join us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Hoopsville as well. Certainly uh, would love to hear from you uh, as we move along the show. A couple more segments uh, in this one tonight, um, et cetera. So if you do have a question, we'll try and get it in before the end of the show. If you don't get it, if we don't get it in the end of the show, we'll try and get it in at the next episode coming up on Thursday. Um, so we're going to take a quick break from the milestone side. And I guess this is kind of milestones as well, but Ryan Scott did a tremendous story on res ball for our around the nation article. Uh, it features, uh, Jocko Hay black, um, at least in the pictures, but it talks a lot more about what res ball is. Talk to the co-founder of NDNsports.com, Brent, uh, Kawi, um, I have not been able to get all the way through Ryan's article. It is tremendous, but I ran out of time today. I look forward to reading it more. But I didn't want to waste any time getting a different perspective on it, and not even different, but get the true student-athlete perspective. One thing we're trying to do differently on Hoopsville this year is get more student-athletes actually on the show. We've always had the intent to do it. We have done it in the past where we've gotten student-athletes on, but sometimes it's a little more challenging, and so uh, we've shied away from it to some degree. This one I couldn't resist. Uh, as a sophomore, uh, Jack O'Hay is averaging 14.5 points a game for Colorado College, and the Tigers could have a pretty darn good season. But what is res ball exactly, and what, why does it have any uh, influence here? And honestly, 
Where did Jekyll Hay come from? By the way, do not assume about how I'm saying it is how it's spelled. It's completely different. Joining us on the Hoopsville Hotline is Jacko Hay Black, a sophomore forward for the Colorado Ti- Colorado College Tigers. Sir, thanks for taking the time for joining me. Hi, Dave. Uh, yeah, thank you for having me. Absolutely, I uh, appreciate you taking the time. So let's let's first and foremost point out you're you're a, a six foot seven according to the roster. Uh, mm-hmm. forward for Colorado College. You, you guys are off to a, a pretty solid start this season. Um, you're in your second year, as we pointed out. How have you liked the college game? We'll start there. How, how's the college game suited you? Um, I've, I've really been enjoying it. Um, my situation right now has been good. Uh, the coaches have a lot of confidence in me, and it's a lot more competitive than um, high school basketball, um, <laughs> which, which, yeah, you can assume, but... Uh, it's just been really fun to go out there and compete and work hard against all these other talented athletes. And certainly, you guys are off to a 3 and one start. We'll talk more about your team here in a bit, but wins over Superior and Stout and Sarah Lawrence, uh, two big one games coming up. We will talk about that in a minute, but let's go back to this res ball. F- to understand res ball better, I think might need us to understand where you come from uh, background-wise uh, wise here in, in the United States. Uh, for those who are not familiar, um, you're a Native American, um, mm-hmm. and I, I don't have it in front of me because I somehow just misplaced it. What tribe are you from? Um, I'm enrolled Northern Arapaho. Northern Arapaho. And where, what region of the country is that located? We Our reservation is located in central Wyoming. Okay, Wow. A part of beautiful part of the country that I have yet to see. Um, yeah, it's beautiful for sure. And you didn't do too bad going to Colorado College, another beautiful yeah. part of the country. Uh, you you're you're winning already here, sir. Um, so, what exactly is res ball? Because you talk about high school ball. The article though kind of makes it seem like res ball is just another little nuance to the game of basketball, almost out of necessity. Is that a fair way of saying it? Um. Yeah, I would say so. Um. Mostly because, you know, throughout um, the histories of indigenous high schools, they've been, they've kind of been oppressed a little bit, and uh-huh. the way that they've been refed throughout history has required them to speed the game up, get the ball up the court as quick as you can, uh, get as much points as you can, uh, whether that's layups, three points on these fast breaks. And then that just kind of sort of creates this energy dynamic between the team and the crowd, which really gets everybody involved. <laughs> You're still playing five-on-five, five, correct? Yeah, you are. Uh, and I only ask that because you hear of uh, northern Alaska, for example, football maybe playing a little bit differently. Heck, we see it in Texas even. <laughs> uh, but I was thinking of Eskimos, especially of, of the tribes up there playing a little bit differently. So that's why I seriously asked five on five, especially mm-hmm. considering reservations sometimes aren't the largest in size. Um, and so you may not have enough players. But mm-hmm. this up-tempo style, is it just something that's now kind of ingrained in how you how the game is played, at least from – uh, your reservation or the nearby reservations, and that's just how it is, and now the crowds are into it, and there's no other way to play it now? Um, you can find that style of play um, in many indigenous communities. Um, but, yeah, it's it's one of those things that uh, Native American communities have picked up on. It's something that we identify ourselves with, and you grow up watching it, and it's it's fun to watch, and 
you know, the athletes that you look up to when you're younger, and that's the way you want to play when you get at that level. To some degree, though, it feels like this is a game that doesn't isn't supposed to fit into the college game. Yes, we have the system, which is certainly run and gun to some degree. Um, mm-hmm. But when it comes to your talents or your teammates' talents or those who went ahead of you and their talents, I'm sure you guys weren't necessarily sought after by coaches because this doesn't fit the college game. Is that, is that a fair representation of the past, at least? Yeah, I would say I would say a little bit of that and. Uh, res ball kind of has a negative stigma on it okay. because of the flashy kind of style that you have with it. Um, whereas I would say that in college, it's more, it's more up to the coach to set these plays up, um, you know, and kind of develop players through their system. Not to say that high school coaches don't have a big impact on the way the players play, but sure. Hmm. Well, well, talk more about that then. The one, what is the stigma? Is it because you guys, I don't want to say it's street ball, because you have coaches, and it's obviously in, in a formatted structure, um, mm-hmm. but is there a lot of freelancing going on on the court, or is it much more structured than people realize? Yeah, um, it's often, I've heard it referred to as a organized chaos. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, so no, you know, you'll have... You'll have these sets and these plays, but it's not. It's not okay. We're going to slow the ball down, and we're going to run this here. It's we'll get to our spots and do these actions that we need to do. But then off of that, we're going to look for our look for our own game and just kind of feel it out and just let the game flow. So you're not running necessarily plays, but you have an understanding of where you need to be on the floor. Mm-hmm. All right, so yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a reference. I don't know if it works or not. We all talk about the the famed triangle offense uh, slash the motion. It's a it's a it takes the motion offense and on on steroids. You could argue, and, you know, mm-hmm. they, uh, it's about knowing where to be at certain places. I'm not trying to say res ball is a triangle. I'm not trying to make that comparison. But I'm trying to say mm-hmm. is if you understand the basics of the triangle and no one understands the details, <laughs> everyone understands the basics. Is that kind of the mentality? Okay, we know where we're supposed to do it, but we're just doing it at a different pace. Um, sort of, yeah, um, yeah. Like you said, everybody has spots that they know that they're supposed to be in, but um, there's also just growing up around that style, you kind of develop the skill to be able to play these different positions. Mm. Um, you know, everybody, everybody shooting, everybody running, and that's um, talked about a little bit in the article. But yes, mm. it is. I assume there's a ton of communication going on then too. Yeah, totally. But there's also probably a lot of no communication to the point of you just know cerebrally. If your teammates hitting that point on the floor and your other teammates hitting that spot, you can see they're going there. Then you doesn't matter where you were planning on going. You've got to go somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, and, and that just that just goes back to the ability to be able to kind of play every position when you're on the floor. And what kind of score? What kind of scores are these games? Oh man, these scores they can they can get high. Um, you know, like the eighties, nineties, one hundreds. Are you playing defense would be the question I bet everybody asks you. Yeah. Um, in Red Bull, I would, I would say that the, the offense feeds into the defensive energy that you have. Um, and a lot of indigenous schools, uh, these schools in these indigenous communities, because they're so comfortable with running, um, a lot of them will press. Oh, really? Yeah, so the press, 
the press and really speeding up the opponent is a big part of it. So that leads into a lot of fast breaks, um, a lot of fast break open threes. Fascinating. Uh, it almost feels like the system, but on a different level, um, mm -hmm. because you're not worried about necessarily just the three, as you said earlier. You don't care where the shot is; you're just taking the shot when you have an open shot. Yeah, yeah. If, if it's an open shot, it's a good shot. Um, and you're not has a better shot. You pass it up. Yeah. Are you subbing like the system does, or are you guys playing long minutes? Um, I suppose that would mostly depend on the school and the okay. type of depth that they have. Yeah. Okay. Um, and one of the things in the article talked about 144 te or 24 teams uh, playing in Phoenix each summer, um, not only to showcase res ball, but to, to support native basketball as well. Um, have you gone to that event? Uh, the Nobby Tournament, Native uh, American Basketball Invitational. Yeah. I, w I have not been able to go to that, unfortunately. Have you I, been um, able to see it? Like maybe online seen, no, or something? I've, yeah, I've seen pictures. Um, I've seen it online, yeah. Okay. But still, 124 teams, you weren't there. It tells me just how many teams are actually playing yeah. this yeah, this sport. How come it how come you think it hasn't gotten more attention? Um mostly because I would take it back to the uh negative connotations that uh -huh. come with it. For example, uh Shoni Schimmel. Um you know, there were people saying that she has too many turnovers with this fast-paced, flashy style that she plays. Mm -hmm. So there's this idea that it's a little bit too chaotic to be able to take it to the next level. Um, and also just the exposure. Um, sure. A lot of these indigenous communities are in rural areas where recruiting is not taking place. Um, yeah. And besides these uh, big native tournaments that there are, there's just not a lot of opportunity for these traveling teams to showcase their abilities in front of coaches and recruit, sure. recruiters. Uh, my parents live in very rural Maine and, and near a reservation themselves. I have no idea if they're playing res ball up there. I, I'm not making that comparison, but I, what I was going to say is they're a lot, they're very rural. They're very much out in the middle of nowhere. Mm -hmm. um, and so getting to them isn't exactly necessarily easy. That said, you're now playing at Colorado College. We have other examples, if you read the article, of players who are now at least had the door open. I don't know if we want to say recruiting, but had the door opened by other programs, including at Division One. How did you get to Colorado College? Yeah, so um, it first started off with uh, I was I had to figure out what was actually required to get in contact with coaches um, and to get recruited. And um, I learned that you needed to send emails, send game film. And I started doing that and just really reaching out. And then through this Native tournament in Denver, I met um, a great mentor of mine. His name is Bill Hanslick. Hmm. Um, introduced me to another coach who uh, coaches a traveling team out of Denver. And just through those connections, I was able to get exposure and get introduced to coaches. So you wanted and, um, to, to go on and play in college? I did, yeah. How many of your teammates, how many of those who, who are in these Native uh, basketball teams or, or part of these um, indigenous tribes, how many want to play in college like you from the get-go? I would say every month, everybody. Um, okay. That's, yeah, that's kind of the goal is to take it, take it to the next level. Um, like there's a lot of great athletes, a lot of state championships 
ones in these native schools, and a lot of them will usually go to JUCOs just because that's kind of the sure. The, yeah, the most exposure that we get. Yeah. Um, but just as you as you kind of get going, it just gets a little bit harder to get looked at um, and to get that exposure. So sometimes it just ends up not panning out, unfortunately. It also seems like unless you get to the right school, and I don't even know if Grinnell would be the right school, to be blunt. I, I don't know if there is a right school out there. Unless you're at, going to a right school, you have to be willing to adjust your game and, and, and yeah. really change who you are as a player. I mean, a lot of people out there get recruited because they're the perfect center for a program or they've got the, the skill set to be able to fit into the offense. So they don't have to adjust as much. Yes, they have to learn a new system. They have to understand a coach. They have to learn a lot about it. But for the most part, their game has already been uh, fitted into a program for some degree. From what I'm hearing, you're very much the polar opposite of that. You are going to be the one who has to make adjustments, at least on paper. Yeah. We'll get to Colorado College in a minute. So that's got to be a little bit challenging as well to understand that you, you res ball me, might need to be left behind. Mm -hmm. Is that part of the process for you? Was that part of the thought process of going, listen, I want to play college basketball, but I very well may have to understand that I'm no longer a res ball player. Yeah. Um, I, the AAU team uh, that I referred to earlier, mm -hmm. um, that was one step towards me towards adjusting Gotcha. Adjusting uh, my style and just being able to play away from home. And um, I actually took a postgrad year out in New England, and that was another another year that I was being being able to adjust myself and just get comfortable with playing basketball away. Well, that's certainly that's certainly true, especially if you're going uh, all the way out to New England yeah. <laughs> uh, to play at a prep school. Of course, I just looked it up. You went to Phillips Exeter. Mm -hmm. Um, I know Phillips Exeter is certainly a good program there in New England, but yeah, that all definitely. said, that all said, what's, what is going on at Colorado college with you? Are you, are you having to adjust to coach Bartree's different, um, style or are they trying to maybe adopt a little bit of what you are so good at? Um, I would say it's a, it's a, it's more of a mutual, mutual thing that we got going on here. Okay. Um, yeah. Coach Partee is uh, great with the X's and O's, um, and the system works well for the team that we have now. Um, and then even then, he'll uh, he'll put me in positions that will allow me to use my abilities and skill that I have. How the teams, or I should say, how are your teammates? Do they ever ask you what the game's like? Do you ever show off a little bit of what the game's like? Do you guys ever talk X's and O's necessarily? Um, no, not quite. How have you yes. how have you adapted though to the college game? I mean, fourteen and a half points a game so far through your you know a couple games into your sophomore season, it seems like you've adapted pretty well. Yeah, um, for me, it was just having the confidence um, and just knowing that if I could do it back home, um, that I could do it anywhere if I put the work in. You're so six. I think, go ahead. Well, I was gonna say yeah. I think that was a biggest thing for me is just having that confidence you stand six foot seven you're averaging 14 and a half points a game uh interesting enough you've only taken one three-pointer uh the entire uh season <laughs> uh which i find yeah. fascinating i wonder if coach partry's got the the noose on you for that one say hey no you can't shoot those <laughs> um but you're 14 of 18 from the free throw line 22 of 43 from the floor and if you've got an outside jumper, which I can tell from pictures that you do and from a little bit of video that I've seen, 
and you've got this inside game at six foot seven. That that seems to to bold well for you as being a, a pretty difficult person to guard. Yeah, um, I like to. Uh, well, part of my training is just being able to score in different ways and kind of be unpredictable and deceptive when I'm out there, um, especially in the post. When you talk about the post, are you a back to the player, well, back to the basket type of guy? Uh, or are you unafraid to, to face up? Yeah, I grew up um, being the tallest, one of the tallest around. I grew up uh, with my back to the basket, so I'm pretty comfortable with that. Um, but I would say within the past two or three years, I've really developed a face up game, um, being able to attack off the dribble, uh, pull ups, and face up jump shots. So, uh, yeah, I've just been working working hard to extend my game as much as I can. Team's off to a 3-1 and one start. Wins over Superior and Stout. Uh, Superior 60-48 and Stout 82-80 in overtime. Unfortunately, Carrollton snipped you guys 76-65, but you, you thumped St. Lawrence 71-51. But you've got two huge games coming up on mm-hmm. the road this coming weekend, a week from now, at Whitman and at Whitworth. Um, how do you guys feel about your start to the season, and what do you think about this coming weekend? Um, we've we've been excited with um, the way we've been playing. We've been having a lot of energy. Uh, we're really working to play for each other this year, and um, we know that when we have the energy, that we can compete with anybody. We have the talent to do so. Uh, we got good leaders on the team, and we just got one of our better players back from an injury, um, John Hatch. So that's been really good for us. Uh, confident wise you got the number one team in the country in Whitman coming up does does that mean anything to you guys does that maybe raise your game a little bit how do you approach playing a team like a number one team in the country um yeah we definitely know what's at stake uh, when you're playing a team like that um being having the chance to potentially take them out and raise our case for March come March time mm-hmm. um but we're also approaching it like we would any any other game. We like to say that uh, it's a business trip, and we just need to go there and take care of business and not get too starry-eyed or try to play up to them and instead have them play up to us. Is Coach Partry around the corner from you feeding that one? That, that sounded very much like a coach talking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess it's I guess it's just something that we that we usually keep at the back of our minds sure. in, in our program. Makes total sense, uh, and uh, it's great to hear that from a student athlete's point of view versus we always hear it from coaches. Hey, very mm-hmm. quick, back to the res ball, back to the the native game, as it were. Do you feel like you're part of many players or several players now that are kind of uh, raising the spotlight of the native game and these rural uh, reservations and, and this quality of players that are there? And do you feel like you're you're not you specifically, but you as a group? are helping trailblaze maybe a new crop of talent in this country and in the college game? Yes, uh, most definitely. Um, I think that for a while, um, indigenous communities have just needed needed um, people to go ahead and take that next step and show, show recruiters, show coaches that just because we have this different style of play, um, these different backgrounds, that we can, we can play at this next level. Um, and even in that, it it's a big um, it's a big confidence booster for the community, knowing that these student athletes 
have the opportunities and can do it. They certainly can do it. Uh, do you get a lot of calls as a result or emails from uh, other players hoping to play themselves? Yeah, um, not necessarily from different communities, but back home. Okay. I get a lot of positive feedback on like Facebook and stuff like that and people reaching out. And when I'm back there in the summer. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> I am quite sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You're probably rather popular when you show back up. Uh, hey, Chaco, hey, come here. Got to talk to you. Um, <laughs> yeah. How do I do this? Uh, do you feel pressure, though, as at the same time, to not only represent your, your tribe, but a lot of indigenous people at the same time, and does that pressure also kind of stick with you throughout that you know how you carry yourself, how you play, how you act, react, and all of that is maybe being watched and judged in a different way? Yeah, um, there is there is a pressure there, but I, I tend to think of it as more of a positive thing. Um, okay. And use it as a motivation to know that not many Native athletes have been given this chance, so... With this chance, I just wanted to do the best I can and do that, make changes, make make a positive change in my community, um, you know, and give give the younger kids encouragement that they can they can do it and just really show them how to do that. Um, and with that, yeah, I I always um, have that in the back of my head when I'm making decisions, whether you know something as simple as studying. Um, working hard to get good grades or put extra gym time so I can continue to grow as a player. By the way, what's your major? Um, I'm still still figuring that out. I was thinking... Don't blame you. Yeah, I was thinking some science, but now I'm leaning more towards political science. So. Wow. Yeah, so I, ha- I have until the end of the year to declare. So You would have a very different, a very unique and, and um, maybe perfect perspective. Uh, in the political science game, to mm-hmm. be honest with you. Yeah, that'd be, that'd yeah. be tremendous to know about. Um, hey, well, thanks for taking the time out of your night. Talked longer than I expected. Fascinated. Again, Ryan's story is terrific, but I loved chatting with you about it. Congratulations on a terrific start to the to your sophomore campaign. Good luck up in the Northwest against Whitman and Whitworth. Looking forward to maybe catching some of those games. Uh, we have a tradition here on the show. We always give the guests the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those who may be tuning in? Yeah, I just want to say, um, first of all, to point out the article, the article, I think, did a great job of just kind of creating an exposure for this underground world of res, res ball and Native athletes. And, um, you know, these Native athletes, there's so much talent out there in these Indigenous communities, um, but it's just unfortunate because they don't get the exposure that they need in order to take their game to the next level. Sure. Well, uh, you you do your um, tribe well, and you certainly do your team and college well. Congratulations. Thanks for taking the time for joining me. I really appreciate it. Look forward to watching the next two and a half years of your career uh, with the Tigers. And, uh, hey, at least enjoy the uh, break that's coming up and mm-hmm. enjoy the rest of the season at the same time. All right. I appreciate that a lot, and thanks for having me. Absolutely. Take care of yourself. Thank you. You too. Jack O'Hay Black. Uh, we didn't have it on the graphic. We normally do, but it is spelled C O O X O O E I I Jack O'Hay. Learn something here on Hoopso, don't you? Tremendous young man. Appreciate him taking the time. Resball's got me fascinated. Ryan's article, the conversation with Jack O'Hay Black, 
I'm fascinated. I, I love it. I think it's great. And and I think there is a place for it in Division Three. I think there's a place for it in all of college basketball, to be blunt. But if there's not if tell me there isn't a more perfect place for these these student athletes who want to continue playing while getting a good education. Division three is perfect. They don't have to go JUCO. Let's get some Division three schools to realize this talent is out there. And it's clearly around the country. It's not just in certain areas. When you have 124 teams showing up in Phoenix to play and Jack O'Hay Black's team wasn't even there, well, this is great. I would love to see more players uh, of Native American background in the game, especially in Division three, but in college basketball as well. Going to take a break. When we come back, we'll go back to our milestone segments. Talk to Mike Durbin, head coach of St. Benedict's women's basketball, obviously women's. Uh, we'll talk to him about his milestones as well. You listen to Hoopsville presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC studios. More Hoopsville after this. Cheer for the stumbles. The he should have had bats. And the tears that linger. For in those moments, greatness lies. There, you will find the provoked, the determined, the unified. It's in those moments that champions are born. Great moments are born from great opportunity. That's what you have here tonight. That's what you've earned here tonight. This is your time. Now go out there and take it. My name is Marcus Walker. I was All-State, won a state championship, a high school All-American, and played college and pro ball. I played because I love the game. I grind to be the best. I sweat because I put in work. I'm strong because I believe. When I want to bring it before game time, I come to the house that college basketball built, the CBE. No matter your skill, take it to another level. Elevate your game right here at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. Something I discovered to myself is that if I have a goal, then I can accomplish it. It's a well-rounded experience. At a Division three school, you primarily a student athlete, so the school is really shaped around you developing yourself as a complete individual. It helps a lot that you have a family with your team that can guide you. Cheer for the stumbles. The Heat should have had bats and the tears that linger. For in those moments, greatness lies. There, you will find the provoked, the determined, the unified. It's in those moments that champions are born. Great moments are born from great opportunity. That's what you have here tonight. That's what you've earned here tonight. This is your time. Now go out there and take it.
My name is Marcus Walker. I was All-State, won a state championship, a high school All-American, and played college and pro ball. I played because I love the game. I grind to be the best. I sweat because I put in work. I'm strong because I believe. When I want to bring it before game time, I come to the house that college basketball built, the CBE. No matter your skill, take it to another level. Elevate your game right here at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody. Hope you're enjoying the show. Fascinating segment, just the last there with uh, Jack O'Hay Black. I'm not going to forget how to say that name. Uh, I would hope Colorado College maybe comes to the D3Hoops.com Classic, and I really hope the Tigers get in the NCAA tournament to see him get featured maybe more. Watch for Colorado College. We didn't get a chance to talk about conference play, but watch out for them in the SCAC. I think the SCAC, as we've seen recently, is kind of ripe for the taking. It's a bit of a young young uh, conference in terms of age of the players uh, and experience, and maybe Colorado College can break through. Little note, if we had forgotten to mention at any time this season, Johnson and Wales of Colorado has announced they're coming to Division Three, and on um, Colorado College's schedule is J&W Colorado. Remember, there's a Johnson and Wales in Rhode Island as well. There's also a Johnson and Wales in Florida, but they're not uh, athletically in Division Three. I don't even know if they have athletics down there, but Johnson and Wales of Colorado – so my point being, it's the the dynamic of Division Three basketball is starting to change a little bit out west, and I'm looking forward to seeing how that will change, and I'm looking forward to seeing how Colorado College is impacted by it as well. Back to our milestone segment and talking about um, coaches who have, um, let's say, knocked off another mark on their on their career, as it were, the tenth winningest coach. Uh, I believe in Division Three, if not of all of the NCAA, but I think it's Division Three. Mike Durbin, the head coach at St. Benedict's, uh, located in St. Joseph's, Minnesota, uh, is one of those who's on that. They are off to a six and one start, and he continues to chalk off wins. Uh, I think for a program that flies under the radar for for a lot of people, I think it's one of those that maybe we don't always recognize. So joining us on the Hoopsville Hotline is Coach Durbin, and Coach, thanks for taking the time, sir. Absolutely. Thanks for thanks for inviting me, and uh, thanks for a great segment. Um, um, you know, uh, with Resball. Absolutely, you're going to go start looking for Resball players, aren't you? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> uh, you might have a few teams up there in uh, Minnesota uh, that you might be able to go chase down. Yeah, I'm fascinated by it, and thanks for the compliments. Uh, more more of the compliments though to Jack O'Hay Black, uh, who represented himself, the team, and, and Resball pretty well. Um, Six and one start, coach, and and with that again, moving into tenth all time, um, in in wins. What does that mean to you? Well, I, you know, it does mean you've been around for a while. I mean, that's that's certainly <laughs> ah, that's details, certainly details. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, you you can't get there without um, you know some stability in in your career. But you know, I, every coach will tell you, you know, I. I I grew up being an Ohio State Buckeye fan, and and Woody I'm Hayes sorry. used to always say, "Yes, yes, I hear you." <laughs> I, you know, I, I and uh, and and what do you used to always say? You win with people, and yeah. and my goodness, I have been blessed with um, tremendous administrators and uh, and players and coaches, and um, uh, it just it just hasn't you know just hasn't gotten uh, much better than what the, the last 32 years have been. Earned your 600th victory a little while ago, back in uh, 2014. Uh, got things started. And one of your first awards was back in the 89-90 season when you were Mayak Coach of the Year. Um, you now have a record, I believe, total of 655 and 219. Uh, I think they chalked that up to not too shabby. 
Well, you know, I um, I actually even just checked before, uh, uh, you know, uh, joining you. I, I used to be the SID, and uh, and, and now uh, I just... That's why you your know, page is so well detailed. Basketball thing. Yes, <laughs> so now I just try to do the basketball thing and, and leave the SID to our fabulous SID. But but it's it's it a it's a it's a testament to longevity. We all know that it, it means that you've you've done well. You've coached at, for a long term um, there at at at, at St. Ben's. Though I believe you started at Wittenberg. Am I not mistaken? Correct. Um, mm-hmm. Coached a year there, but obviously it means that you've done well at St. Ben's. That they appreciate what you have done, and that you've done well enough by their measures. Um, that you continue to stay on. But at the same time, it also means you have to have some kind of success to accumulate those kinds of numbers. And looking through your career, you started at Wittenberg and you were 4-22. and 22. After mm-hmm. that, and I'm, I'm briefly scanning, the closest you've gotten to that were a couple years ago when you were 12-13. and 13. You have always synonymous with a winning season. You're always synonymous with double-digit victories and being in the conversation. That's hard to do, though, over the long term. Well, and I, I do think it is, uh, you know, I, I think it is tough also within our conference. And, and when you do look at that first year at Wittenberg, you're like, how did that guy ever get another job? <laughs> uh, but um, I wasn't going to ask. Uh, but, yeah, but, um, you know, I, when, when I had the opportunity to, to come here uh, to the College of St. Benedict, uh, I even probably thought at that point, you know, moving away from, from home, you know, by about 16 hours, I thought, oh, you know, be here four or five years, maybe start to work my way uh, back to Ohio. And uh, the reality is, is this, this became home. This became uh, the place of uh, where my value system fit, um, being uh, associated with an institution that uh, is located in a, in a small community and, um, high academic standards and, uh, and wanted, um, you know, the very best and as successful of a women's basketball program, as well as an athletic department as, as they could put together. And, um, you know, the, the resources were here to, you know, to work hard and, uh, and uh, to encourage people to take a look at us. And, you know, we got off to, to a good start that first year and the first recruiting class ended up having an all American in it. And, and, uh, and it just kind of took off from there. I mean, it's, uh, it's, I, I tell people it's, uh, it's a roller coaster that really hasn't had a downside to it yet. I just, I just feel like, um, you know, I've just been so um, fortunate to be at a place like this that just matches, um, you know, like I said, my personal values. I was going through that while you were answering that. And by the way, I, I hear so many coaches, I kid you not, that have said, oh, I'll just move over here and eventually I'll start moving back to, towards where I want to be. Oh, hey, it's been 25 years. Yeah. Um, I would argue I've done that in my own life here in Baltimore, um, but not for the same reasons as coaches. Um, but 23 of the 24 years that you started, you had 20-plus wins. And that one year you didn't, you had 19. So arguably every single year, 19 or more wins in the first 24 but you've only had 20 wins one of the last five, not counting this season. Um, 13 mm-hmm. and 12 in there, 12 and 13 a couple times, 15 and 11, 16 and 11. How hard has that been after so many years of having a certain level, as it were, of expectations? I, I know it's not expectations, but mm-hmm. a certain level mm-hmm. of success, let's say. How hard has the last five seasons been because the numbers haven't added up, if that makes sense? Right. 
Yeah. Well, you know, there there are certainly evenings that are are difficult, or late afternoons, or or like I said, evenings that you know you dropped a game maybe you shouldn't have, or mm-hmm. you're you know you're just not as good as you know the team that you played uh, that particular day. But um, but you still get up and you remember like what you're doing this for. I mean, um, certainly you know it's it is my vocation, but it's also my avocation because I just love working with the people and the women that I have in our program. So um, the motivation continues to be there. I think it's probably stronger than ever because I, I want to get us back to where we were, you know, through the 90s and in the early uh, 2000s. And um, I'm very proud of that part of my resume. But I'm, I'm equally proud of, um, I think, the effort that's being put forth to, to try to bring us, um, you know, back into that you know, top two, top three, whatever it might be, and uh, see if we can make some noise in the conference playoffs or, um, you know, maybe get that uh, invite back to the NCAA tournament. Yeah, those 24 seasons, I just lost the count. I think I said I saw 13, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 championships of some kind, co, try, solo, whatever. And, of course, since then, the best you've been has been third, and that was back in actually the end of that 24th season. That doesn't even count. Mm-hmm. So the best you've been since mm-hmm. then is fourth. Um, but that being said, the Mayak's also gotten a lot more competitive. Um, Absolutely. St. Thomas obviously is, has, has kind of flown the Mayak flag uh, the last few years. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gustavus Dolphus is off to a good start this season. And we've, always, we've talked about Augsburg on occasion. We've talked about Carrollton on occasion. Um, there's others, Bethel uh, certainly as well. Yep. Is, is that part of the reason also of the struggles? And I don't want to be- belabor the, the struggles a little bit here, but it is such an interesting dynamic. Well, absolutely. The conference has gotten so much better. Again, you know, in, in those early years, there was, there was probably about, oh, maybe three or four of us that, um, you know, that uh, you really had to get prepared for. And then there was a middle team that you, you better have a little focus for. And then there was the bottom half that you could, you know, not half, maybe bottom third that you could just show up for. There's, there's just no one on our schedule uh, yeah. in our conference that, that you can do that. Um, and, um, and, and the landscape has changed in that regard. I think programs are investing more money into their Division three basketball programs, um, both in staffing and in uh, facilities. And, um, and so, yeah, the, the challenge is, is certainly as great as it was, um, you know, it's as great as it is today as it was uh, earlier in terms of, uh, you know, trying to recruit quality students to your institution. Uh, Talking to Mike Durbin, head coach of the College of St. Benedict, located, of course, in St. Joseph's, Minnesota, Uh, you know, because everything's got to be named after the other school, right? Um, (laughs) Of course, you guys have that unique kind of – relationship as it were with St. John's that said and and correct me here because I don't know it as well and as much as I try to pay attention it's hard St. John's has its campus you guys have your correct. campus correct. um how far apart are they I, I can see it but I don't know the exact distance mm-hmm. what what what's the distance considered there yeah it's about three miles and okay. uh, and, and there and there's a bus that goes back and forth between the two institutions so you know, our women can take classes at uh, at St. John's, and the St. John's men can take classes at uh, CSB. But, but you're essentially so it's a it's an interesting hybrid where you're essentially St. Benedict's, so you're an all women's school, but you're Correct. kind of in a, in a in a marriage, for lack of a better yeah. term, uh, yeah. which is ironic with St. with St. John's. So that does has that affected your recruiting to some degree that 
you're trying to sell an all women's school that's not technically an all women's school. Does that make any sense? I don't know if I've got that question right. Well, well, we have a we have a very positive relationship with St. John's and, and vice right. versa, and and I and I think because St. John's um, has such a quality athletic program, um, you know, maybe specifically. Um, uh, football and basketball. Yeah, kind of good. Um, yeah, so yeah, so so there's there's name recognition immediately. Um, I still am surprised sometimes when I run into somebody and they go, "Oh yeah, I know where St. Ben's is at." And then on the flip side of that, it'll be, uh, "Where's that at?" Or you know, "Is that in Minnesota?" Or whatever the case might be. Right. And so um, I, I think um, you know that really the you know we tell people the only difference between really the two places is that. Um, you know, our athletic departments are separate and our res halls are, are separate. So right. everything else is, uh, everything else is uh, combined. It's funny. You keep, I keep putting in College of St. Benedict into Google Maps, and it's taking me to St. John's University. I'm getting a little frustrated. I finally tricked it into doing what I wanted it to do. Uh, <laughs> it is an eight-minute drive for anybody who cares at home, roughly. Yep. Well, let's call it ten mm-hmm. to be safe. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But the, my question then would transition into – so how much has the recruiting changed? Are you still finding student athletes who want to go to an all-women's school? And, yes, I've got in mind that there's the Wellesleys out there and there's the other mm-hmm. all-women's schools, the Hollands of the world and the Bryn Mars, et cetera, because the women's institutions are certainly much are stronger than, than the all-male institutions have been in terms of numbers. But have you found that anything has changed in this generation towards an all-women's school you know um i i have not uh i i think again what we have to offer uh both from an academic and student development perspective uh i don't find that to be uh a major um you know recruiting hurdle that has to be Mm -hmm. that has to be jumped um i think if if people if students come to our campus it's much easier for them to understand and appreciate than if I'm trying to explain it to them over the phone. Uh, okay, sure. Uh, so, so I think there may be some apprehension at the front end that, oh, no, I don't want to go to an all-women's institution. And then, then as they learn more and when they come to visit, they recognize we're very proud of mm-hmm. being a women's institution, but we're equally proud to have that relationship with St. John's University. Sure. I mean, we tell, we, we tell, um, you know, our, our students that visit that, um, you know, um, CSB is, uh, for women is, is number one every day, everything we do in programming, everything we do to, uh, prepare them for, you know, their vocation. Um, you know, women are number one here every day, just as men are number one at St. John's every day. Let's switch back to your team uh, a little bit here and, and talk a little bit about what you guys have uh, underway, as it were. Uh, the season off to a 6-1 and one start. Uh, beat Minnesota Morris. You beat Lacrosse. You beat Superior. You beat Buena Vista. Uh, Simpson you even beat by three. Eau Claire tripped you up in, in a rather strange score. I'm, I was wondering if the box score was not complete. Uh, and then you beat Bethel by four to get, at least get that loss out from underneath you. Um, how's the season started from your point of view, though? Well, I think this is as tough of preseason um, schedule as we've played in a few years, and uh, so I'm really, I'm really pleased with how we've come through that non-conference portion of our schedule. And and I was hopeful, of course, that uh, it would help prepare us for 
the um, the Bethel game yesterday, and I, I I do think it did help us because we'd played in some close games and we'd played in some physical games, and we had faced good competition that um, you know was was kind of taking us out of the things that we like to do. Um, but uh, but in the end, um, I, I think I I'll be able to look back on this season at some point and say that uh, our non-conference schedule really did help get us ready for this conference season. But you know, it's early in the year, and as we've mentioned before, there's there's a few teams that we, we have to jump above here if uh, if we want to have the kind of season that we would like. Uh, you were receiving some top 25 attention, at least some voters putting you on their ballots. Does that mean anything to you? Well, you know, I told told the team the only pool I really care about is the one that comes out in, in March, and, and that's Coach Stock, and every, yes, you know, it every is. coach will, will uh, <laughs> tell you that. Uh, Thank you for admitting but, but it. I will t- <laughs> yes, I will tell you, though, I will say that uh, it's been a while that I think, uh, as you mentioned, we've flown under the radar with good reason, um, where we haven't had the success that maybe we had, um, you know, again in the 90s and 2000s. That um, it's it's nice to be noticed, and more than that, even to be respected again. Um, and so, both from um, you know certainly my perspective, but more to the credit of what they have accomplished early in the season is that their efforts have brought respect to uh to their game and uh and how well they are playing you're led by two uh twin towers let's call it uh six three nikki Foken, a senior five eleven chelsea is it gutter what how do you uh, getter. say chelsea yep. getter okay ignore the u mm-hmm. uh also mm-hmm. a senior five eleven um and then it's a freshman who actually uh, comes in third on the scoring tally. Uh, by the way, Nikki, 12.2 points a game. Uh, Chelsea, 9.6. 7.7 from Haley Fingelson. I apologize. Yes. I've got a yeah, lot of Norwegian names in my head, and I'm just <laughs> losing it now. Uh, five foot seven two. So you've got a lot of size on this team leading the way. You've got some very key seniors who are also leading the way. And there's a third one we haven't even mentioned in uh, Kate Manovitz. This team feels like maybe a, a little sneaky. Uh, you've got maybe some of the parts that everybody would love to have right now, and you've got them at the right time, if that makes any sense. Well, we do have them at the right time cause, because uh, that, that size is in is, uh, their seniors. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and, and they've, they have been, you know, they've been through some of those you yeah. know, um, early struggles yeah. uh, you know, when, they come in, when they came into the program as first and second year players. And um, I give them so much credit for um, one hanging in there and Mm -hmm. two actually continuing to be motivated every day when they come to practice to be, um, you know, the best player they can be on, on that day. And, and uh, hopefully when we, when we play on a Wednesday or Saturday, that, uh, that, that work that they've put in uh, will pay off Um, our preseason conditioning and, Strength training is was the best ever, and um, and I put all that credit on uh, on this year's uh, seniors and, and their leadership. Tell me about this conference. Uh, we've talked about who's fl- flown the flag the last few years. Uh, of course, St. Thomas took a loss uh, against Bowden earlier this season. Um, the men's side has gotten deeper at the top in recent years. I feel like the women's is as well. But from your vantage point, who's the teams to beat necessarily, and and where do you think you guys slot in? Well, you you mentioned um, you know you mentioned two of them earlier. Um, you know, uh, St. Thomas has flown that flag, and 
uh, with good reason. I mean, they are they are very talented, and um, and um, they continue to develop good players uh, year in year out. And uh, Gus Davis is uh, right behind them. And uh, you know, every year you think, oh, well, you know, they'll you might you know might be able to catch up here a little bit. But uh, every year they uh, those two programs in particular um, are, uh, are are making strides enough to keep everybody else uh, from uh, knocking on their door, really. But, uh, you know, after playing Bethel, I think, you know, Bethel is certainly one of those uh, programs that could, uh, you know, maybe push push a couple of those other teams around. Um, you know, and again, teams like Augsburg and Carleton, and um, hopefully we'll find ourselves in that mix at some place. You know, having gotten such an important win for us over Bethel, we're against a team we have struggled um, with over the last few years, um, I think gives us a lot of confidence uh, going into uh, the rest of the, the MIC schedule. But we have 17 games to go in our conference, and um, we'll, we'll we'll do we'll we'll do what every other program will do, and and just uh, worry about one day at a time. Uh, we got uh, win number 700 capable from you. Uh, are you gonna? I asked Steve more this. Has retirement even been a, a remnant of a thought on your mind? Not for me. Um, my wife won't Love let it. me. So, <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> so uh, no. I uh, this is um, I, th- this is something I just um, continue to enjoy at a place I continue to love and uh, and um, with the with the people that uh, that uh, come to practice and that I get to meet. Um, I, I just there's there's just no better place, and I'm I'm thrilled to be here and want to be here as long as I feel like I'm still excited about recruiting. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to join me, Coach. Congratulations on a tremendous start to the season. Look forward to seeing what the Blazers can do uh, the rest of the way, and especially in conference action. Um, uh, and congratulations on a tremendous career. You may not have gotten back to Ohio, uh, but as you said, you found a home in Minnesota, and I think it has suited you well. And, um, you know, enjoy the holidays. As always, we give the coach the final word, though. Any final thoughts you want to share with those who may be tuning in? Well, I just I think um, um, we're we're coaching the greatest sport there is at the most purest level, um, with uh, opportunities to make an impact with uh, young people. And I just can't imagine that there's there's a better thing to do in one's life uh, than to be able to to uh, enjoy the moment as much as you can with the people that uh, you're surrounded with and the people you get to work with. And um, and I, I count myself among the blessed. Well, uh, you have done tremendously well. Thank you for taking the time. Enjoy the holidays, and we will look forward to talking about the Blazers down the road and hopefully be talking to you in late February, early March. Dave, thank you very much for this opportunity uh, to come on Hoopville. Thank you, Coach. Take care of yourself, all right? Coach Durbin, joining us here on the Hoopsville Hotline. Uh, again, Blazers are 6-1. and one. I think the Mayak race is going to be fascinating this year. Uh, I don't think there's a team to beat. Or not? I shouldn't say it that way. There is teams to beat. St. Thomas has got a target on his back, and, and, and they're back. And, and you heard Coach Durbin talk about others who are out there, who are certainly good. But I don't think there's a a team that you definitely say they're winning, and everybody else is playing for second. I don't think that's the case this year in the MIAC. Uh, look forward to seeing how it all plays out. Uh, apologize to you, those of you who are tuning in on the simulcast on Facebook. I noticed there were a couple comments due to some glitches. I, I just hadn't had a chance to see them. So I'll answer those questions here momentarily. At the same time, uh, I will uh, I'll show you a, a buzzer beater that we just got. 
Um, well, I knew it had existed, but we hadn't had a chance to see it. So a um, couple of things here before we clean up. We're a little bit over, and I didn't expect us to be over tonight, so I want to wrap things up as soon as we can, and then a couple of notes. So let's start with the buzzer beater, though. If you didn't get a chance to see this, uh, we've had a few buzzer beaters this season, but this one is certainly impressive, to say the least. I'm moving into the right position here for us to enjoy it on the big screen, uh, as it were, or on your broadcast screen. Uh, this is Baldwin-Wallace versus Marietta. Marietta took its first loss, among others. We will get through a number of those as we kind of touch base here. Uh, um, took its first loss to Baldwin-Wallace. It always feels like just when I think Marietta's going to be able to play every single game, someone's going to sneak up on them. Now, Baldwin-Wallace is a good team, don't get me wrong. I'm just I'm stunned sometimes at some of the losses. Anyway, so four seconds left. In the game, uh, Marietta leads by one against Baldwin-Wallace, and uh, here's how it how it played out. Apologize. Taking us a second. Here we go. Oh, here we go. Nope. We're going to get there. Well, how about this? We'll get, let it continue to play uh, while I talk to you and let it figure itself out. Um, and we'll get to you in just a moment. So, again, Marietta taking a loss amongst others who have taken losses. Um, I am somewhat stunned at the amount of teams um, who have taken losses. But i got to get used to this. And I said in my blog, maybe I've just got to change my standards and understand that this is, this is the dynamic now. That, you know, welcome to Division Three basketball on the men's and women's side. Anybody can win now. And there's talent around everywhere um, as we got this play setting up. And... Either lower my expectations, raise the bar, as it were, of other teams, or maybe lower the bar to allow them in isn't the right way to say it. But this is Division Three now, and it's exciting to some degree that we get on any night a good game, and that should be applauded, certainly. So let's check this one out. Uh, Marietta actually hits a uh, free throw to make it a two-point game. Baldwin-Wallace is going to inbound the ball, Moving right to left, four seconds on the clock, down two. That's our scenario. Here we go. So Featheroff inbounds the battle. Three seconds to go, two now. One se passes tip, Quiring gets it off though. And he banks it in! Oh my God! Oh my God, Michael Quiring with the stunner banks it in from beyond the arc. That's incredible. That is absolutely incredible. Thank you, uh, Brendan Gulick, for sharing that with me. That's actually Marietta's broadcast. I want to thank Marietta for the good web stream there. Um, that's, a, that's an unreal bank shot from way too deep to be worth it. Um, but tremendous effort, to say the least, uh, for, the, for the big win there by Baldwin-Wallace over Marietta. And, and that's just the way things are going to be this year. I think, you know, I got a question, and this gets me transitioned in. Brian Bayman asks me, what about Oshkosh uh, beating the number two? I like Oshkosh. I, I think Oshkosh is a good team. I've got them in my top 25. I, I like where who they are as a unit. I think they can play very well. Am I surprised they beat number two? Maybe a little bit uh, in Augustana because I have Augustana number two, too, because I thought the Vikings would play well. But remember, Warford is out now, suffered an ACL against Illinois in a game that didn't count for Augustana. But nonetheless... He's out. Maybe Augustana has to adjust. I heard a great point. When Warford went out last year, they had Johnson uh, for the Vikings on the team, and he really stepped up and played very well. He was certainly instrumental uh, uh, on their run to Salem and into the championship game and coming up short. He certainly was very important for that run for Augustana. 
he's not there. And when I said on the last show that the, that Augustana losing Warford, I wasn't overly concerned about because they showed last year when Warford was removed from the team that they could still win. I forgot about the fact that Johnson is still there. Well, Johnson's no longer there. So maybe there's a dynamic here that has changed, and I've given Augustana too much credit. They're still a darn good team. But I'm, I guess back to the previous comment, maybe I'm not supposed to be surprised that, that Oshkosh won that game. By the way, the picture on T3Hoops.com <laughs> is tremendous. Uh, the look on Gray Giovanni's face is beautiful. Um, and I mean it because he has that look like this isn't going our way. And he, and he's one of those coaches that doesn't hide. He, he, he wears his emotions on his sleeve, as we all know, or when he takes off his jacket, he's it's, it's on his tie, maybe, uh, or not tie. Maybe it's just on his shirt. He, but he, he's very aware of the game that that look to me wasn't of disgust. It wasn't of, of, I can't believe this is happening. It was one of, yep. This is happening, and Oshkosh has beaten us, and I love it. By the way, Williams lost. Williams lost to Wesleyan, which is going to finally give me a chance to vote for Wesleyan, I think. Um, I got one more question on Facebook that I will get to, but I wanted to go through the uh, top 25 very quickly on the men's and women's side. So Oshkosh beats Augustana in overtime, double overtime, 95-89. In overtime, Wesleyan beat Williams, 72-67. Baldwin-Wallace, as we mentioned, beat Marietta. So that's three teams in the top six that lost. You have to go down to 19 to find that Ohio Wesleyan lost to Hanover. Here's another example of what I was talking about earlier, Tufts-Rochester women. I hope that no one punishes Ohio Wesleyan for losing by one to Hanover, who was ranked 7th and Ohio Wesleyan 16th. If anything, I might raise Ohio Wesleyan up further because they – barely lost to Hanover, and they came back and beat DePaul 105-71. The Battling Bishops looked to have a pretty darn good team. Christopher and Newport beat Salisbury 71-66 and then lost to Frostburg 83-81 in overtime. That's the kind of game you question. Hobart, <laughs> I knew I was going to do this to him, and I apologize. The Statesman went 2-0, beating two top 25 teams. Then lost to Brockport 89-83. Okay. But then they lost to Union 67-62 before beating Vassar 85-73. Hello and goodbye to Hobart in the top 25. I feel bad for him. Uh, Skidmore, by the way, just of note, continues to win. They're 6-0 now. Bowden then uh, lost to Colby 89-84. Emory lost to Hamden-Sydney 90-85. Say what? This is a Hamden-Sydney squad that didn't look good to start this season. And they go and beat Emory by 5. Um, and Worcester lost to Denison and Wabash, as we mentioned. Babson uh, it, it is not the same team, folks. Lost to Albertus Magnus, 85-81. I guess I'm not blown away by that. I, I think Albertus Magnus is a darn good team out of the Northeast. Watch out for them this year. Um, they're sneaky good. I think just as good as they have been in the past when we were used to them being good in the top 25. The uh, Babson then beat Brandeis, okay, but then they lost to Salem State by five. Babson is four and four. They just are not the team many expected, despite... We understand they lost Joey Flannery, but I think a lot of people thought this team would still be pretty darn good. They are struggling at 4-4. Four and four. Tufts lost to Salem State as well, by the way, 77-67. Salem State ended up winning that tournament out there that weekend. Tufts is 4-3. and three. St. Thomas lost to Ham Hamlin, and I think maybe that's what we should have expected. I don't know why I put St. Thomas in my top 25 when I think I expected their start to be good, but they would struggle a little bit after that, and now we're seeing it. Uh, maybe I'm being a little hard on myself and not being fair to them. 
Illinois Wesleyan lost its only game of the of the week to Carthage 74-72 in an incredible game. Um, Dickinson lost to Swarthmore 78-66 today. And again, Dickinson losing to a team that's ranked. You can't really knock them for that. Endicott lost to Nichols. 105-82. That's the Nichols team I'm expecting. I took them out of my top 25. I figured temporarily uh, that win over Endicott is exactly what I expected to see this season. Bethel lost to Augsburg and St. John's. I like St. John's. They're 30th in the country. I've got them pretty darn high if you've been reading my ballot. I like St. John's. Guilford lost again. They're 3-3. Three and three. They lost to WNL before beating Bridgewater. I'm not sure what's going on at Guilford. They're supposed to be better than this, to be blunt. I was down there. I was unable to get on campus or see anybody, but I think Guilford's better than 3-3, three and three, and I'm a little nervous. St. John Fisher now lost to Cortland. They're now 2-3. and three. I thought they'd be at least better. I, I thought highly of them, but that surprised me. And then Puget Sound, who was getting a vote, uh, lost to both Whitworth and Whitman to start conference play. Uh, we'll see how that plays out. Quickly on the women's side, top 25, pretty quiet in the top eight, but uh, Rochester, as we mentioned, lost to Tufts. Then down to 13, we mentioned at the beginning of the show, Austin beating Wash U. Scranton, we mentioned losing at number 16. Another one that jumped, we mentioned, I think I mentioned, but Puget Sound and Whitman played, and Whitman handled them easily, 80-69, I should say. And then Wheaton lost to Chicago earlier this week, 82-77. Most of the losses on the women's side came in the non-receiving votes category. Mass Dartmouth lost to Bowden, 91-53. Bowden's good, folks. Bowden's really good. Um, Bethel lost twice, both the uh, Northwestern and the ever, and the previously mentioned uh, interview, St. Benedict. Uh, Carthage lost to Illinois Wesleyan. Williams lost to both Skidmore and Rochester. Uh, Moravian lost to Elizabethtown. Claremont Mud Scripps lost to La Sierra, which kind of caught me by surprise. St. Uh, Oneana lost to Hartwick and Geneseo. Carnegie Mellon lost to Capital. Benedict, St. Benedict, as we talked about, lost to Eau Claire and then beat Bethel. And then Stevens Point lost to Carthage and St. Thomas. So a lot of interesting results in the top 25 this week. Back to the question I got. Um, another one I got was, do you have any thoughts on the Stevens Point basketball team this year? I know they aren't as good as they should be, and we're talking about men's basketball, I would assume. I have pre mentioned on previous shows what I have thought of St. Thomas this season, or uh, Stevens, po uh, Stevens Point, I apologize, Stevens Point this season. Um, uh, I will refer you to other shows, but I'll, I'll wrap it up succinctly. The investigation continues. Um, I, I think there are certain individuals who are hurting the program in the long term. I'll put it blunt, bluntly like that. Uh, I'm not going to go into bet more details because I can't. Um, but I, I, my opinion is that that the ego, for lack of a better description, and and mentality of some individuals is going to hurt the men's program and maybe the department um, in the long term and even in the short term. Uh, I'm, I'm, Stevens Point has fallen quickly since its national championship. I don't know anything about recruiting. I don't know about how transfers come into schools. I don't know if Stevens Point is on the mind of anybody. I don't know how much this investigation is hurting them, but it's got to be hurting them. And as long as this hangs over them, and as long as it continues, and as long as it's not resolved, meaning that the investigation can be closed, the Committee on Infractions can review and make a decision and come down with punishments, either more punishments, 
call it good, whatever the case may be, whatever it is, that this can be wrapped up and finished, including any appeals that may probably, probably will happen. This is only hurting the program. This could have been done in April. This could have been done in May. This could have been done when it wasn't done then. This could have been done by the end of the summer. When it wasn't done then and we still have it now, this is now no longer hurting this season. It's hurting next season. It's going to hurt the following season. Let's just say the NCAA decides that, that Stevens Point gets a two, two more additional years of postseason ban. I'm, I have no information to say that that's happening. I, I'm taking a what if. The reason I take this what if is if they had come out with that in May and we went through the appeals process and it was da-da-da-da and that stuck. That postseason ban goes into effect for this year. And it goes into effect for next year. The longer this goes, the longer a perceived two-game, two-season post-tournament you know, post uh, tournament, uh, ban will affect Stevens Point. So let's say they come down with two more seasons. Well, now we're talking next season and the following season. I'm not saying there's a two-season ban coming, folks. Do not misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm taking a what-if, an extreme what-if. That's hurting the program. It's hurting recruiting. It's hurting the ability to get over this and move on. I feel egos have gotten in the way of this, that the bigger picture has been lost for the sense of self. And it's disappointing. You're only hurting student-athletes in the long run. You're only hurting the program in the long run. And you're only hurting the opinions or the, the perception of this department, not the department, but the name Stevens Point men's basketball or Stevens Point whatever. You're only hurting that in the long run. And this continues and continues, continues. I have no sense that this has been wrapped up and sent going to the NCAA's Committee of Infractions. I've got no sense that we're there yet. Which means add two more months. Every day that goes by that 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 it doesn't appear it has gone in front of the Infractions Committee adds at least two more months, if not four, to this process. Maybe five. It's not good. I feel bad for those at Stevens Point. Uh, appreciate the kind words about the Steve Moore interview. We enjoyed having him on. Um, Ira Thor still driving home. Sir, you need help. <laughs> I at least got home. Um, Daryl Duncan says, uh, I used to teach a family communications group when I worked at juvenile detention. I used to, I would use a video during one session that followed a Native Indian uh, high school boys basketball team in Wyoming for two years. This team would often score in the 90s and 100s with a torrid pace at which they played, and they played a lot of pressure defense. Res Ball was often mocked and ridiculed by schools they played against who were predominantly white, but this team won many games and state titles with their style of play. I don't know why we ridicule it. I think uh, I think we're starting to see and, and understand that Res Ball is pretty darn good, and it gets some good talent. We're going to be talking about uh, Jacahe Black for a while to come, and, and maybe some of his high school teammates and others of the uh, res ball group. I, I, think it, I think it has a great place in Division Three. Why not? Let's go. Bring it on. Let's see more of it. That's going to wrap it up for our show. We're going to be back on the air on Thursday night. Um, we went way into overtime. That was on, uh, We're not supposed to be doing that this season, uh, at least early on. We're supposed to be done with it and getting off the air. But I want to thank all of our guests, Steve Moore, as we mentioned, Mike Miller, uh, and Mike Durbin. And I also want to thank... 
uh, Jocko, hey, Black. I want to thank all the sports information directors and others who helped us put this show on the air, especially considering my travels back from Greensboro from the soccer championships. Not easy to do it, but they were willing to help out, and we got the show on the air, and I want to thank them all for that. Um, Thursday's show, we'll have some more interesting topics to discuss, and of course we'll have another show on Sunday before I have to focus on football for a week. So we have a total of one, two, three, I think it's like four more shows before the holidays. I hope you'll tune in and enjoy them. Uh, don't forget, you can always tweet us at D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. Email us, hoopsville at D3Hoops.com, or join us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Hoopsville. Um, a lot of coaches hitting milestones. If you haven't noticed them, go online. Uh, two milestones I want to point out. I think I mentioned WashU women's basketball getting their 800th victory. Congratulations to them. Well, I also want to congratulate Hope on getting 800 as well. Uh, the Hope Women's program reached its 800th victory, being the seventh Division Three program to do that. Congratulations to them. If you're curious who else has done it, um, the following teams have done it. Husson, Elizabethtown, St. John Fisher, Southern Maine, Scranton, and WashU. You You'll remember Elizabethtown, I believe, is the winningest program in Division Three history. We had that topic on a few years ago on Hoopsville. But nonetheless, I think they hit 1,000, actually. Uh, congratulations to Hope and WashU's women's programs on that success. And with that note, we're going to wrap things up. Thanks for tuning in. Appreciate you taking the time to join us on the show. We'll be back on the air Thursday, 7 o'clock Eastern time, right here from the NA, WNA, WBCA NABC studios, of course, presented by D3Hoops.com. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Hope you enjoyed. Please stay in touch. Please enjoy the show. Promote it as it were. And uh, remember, this is all copyrighted by us. We own it. But if you missed the show, you can watch it back on demand or you can listen to the podcast. Thanks for listening tonight and good night.